Hello, and welcome to the Flix in the Six Centennial. I'm one of your hosts, Anthony Costanzo, with me forever and always, the man, the myth, the ruddy bloody soap addict, Alessandro Violsi. Say hello, Al. I know, I know. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> On this week's episode, the Joker impressions are in, Linklater is added again, sequels get dates, and other news and nuggets, all before diving into our flick of the week, for real this time, Cloud Atlas. But first, Al, what are we drinking? We promise we're definitely going to talk about the movie this time. <laughs> what if we did it again? I, I think that would be the grounds for your cousin to actually stop listening. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't judge him. I mean, and everyone to stop listening. He'd be well within his rights. Um, I don't know. That would probably end in some sort of physical altercation. <laughs> <laughs> you come on the next episode and you have a black eye. Yeah. Um, and also tell you how I have another funeral to attend. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> um, oh, man. Yeah. And I'm just going to go ahead and say, you guys have already seen this if you're listening to this, but... um. The title of the episode will make it very clear that we're definitely, definitely doing Cloud Atlas this time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but be sure to catch our prequel episode. <laughs> that happened a few weeks ago. Or maybe listen to it after you've listened to this one if you want to be less angry. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're drinking. We figured we'd pick a beer that was pretty excellent to go with um, this excellent movie. Um, spoiler alert, guys. Um <laughs> We only did two episodes on this, kind of. Um, we're doing one of uh, Anthony's favorite breweries, Magnify Brewing. We've done a couple of those on the show already. Oh, yeah. Um, so this one... I think we've done, like, three, maybe. Um, I think this is the third. Hmm. So, well, I think you gave me three, so... Okay. Um, this is the uh, Magnify Brewing Creamline Double Dry Hopped India Pale Ale that is brewed with lactose. Um, it has a cow. It helpfully tells me which end of the can i should open yeah um, i was gonna i was gonna point that out <laughs> it was in it was up for some debate until i saw that uh <laughs> yes yeah. you're looking at the bottom i don't know how to get in <laughs> what, what's it why isn't it working <laughs> give me the beer uh it's craft beer craft beer craft brewed in Fair, fairfield new jersey um you know, i have to say i'm a little disappointed that magnify doesn't give me any sort of story or any sort of background i, I just i like to hmm. have a little color yeah you like that uh, I, I like that too, but counterpoint, I really like the very clean design of their Oh, sure, but I feel like there's, label. you know, on like, the, uh, they have on like the... Oh, there's room. There's on like the... I'm not going to argue that there's not room on, for on it. On the one side of like the banner, they have the, look at the banner, Michael, um, they, there's the uh, New Jersey that says craft brewed <laughs> in New Jersey, and then on the other side, there could be a little blurb there, and I think it would work just fine. Get that government warning issue out of there. Yeah, that's not just important. put the blurb there. Just stick that um, stick that on the bottom side of the can know. so I'm not confused and think I should open it from there. Let's debate that for a second. Today, is this warning that, like, we know? Do you not know? Does somebody read this for the first time and go, oh. Yes. I know it's covering your own ass. It's, well, I know that. It's, it's mostly that, but also, listen, we've been drinking for a long time, but th- somewhere there's someone who's drinking for the first time. I guarantee you, I can't actually guarantee this, but I guarantee you that nobody has actually been informed about this information for the first time by the label on the can of beer. Um, well, they may have started to read it and got bored after the first sentence. Um, but I, listen, we're, we've, we've come from fairly well-off families and we had good educations growing up and not everyone sure. gets that in their life. So, you know what? Everyone should have a chance. Um, Maybe you need it more than we do. That's what I'm saying. And... <laughs> no, I mean the beer. Oh. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, anyway, let's give this one a taste. 
You've already um, you've already had this one. I've had it before. Cheers. Oh, I love it so much. <laughs> I love it so much. <laughs> um, this is one of the silkier like mouthfeels on a beer I've had in a while. Mm. It's like so many words there. Sil- silky mouthfeels. <laughs> yeah, it's just so weird. It's so strange, especially when you repeat it. <laughs> but uh, no, this is super tasty as usual. It's got that. It, it just looks like just the most delicious orange juice when it's in. Yeah, um, in the it, bottle. It's, uh, I mean, in the glass. It's weird because it's so citrusy on the nose and even the first bit on the palate, but then it has the lactose backing it, which feels like it shouldn't work, and mm-hmm. for some reason it does with this one. It's like a little orange cream. Like it's like a which I've never really been a fan of. Um, yeah, but it's not orangey. Yeah. That's I think maybe that's the key. Yeah, you it's might more, not, it's I don't more I don't love orange cream, but like it has that that texture like and balance. Yeah. I guess I can see that. Um mm. I have to say though, I'm surprised it's not hoppier for it having been double dry hopped. Hmm. I don't know. I, well, I, I know. I, I'm not saying that it's love it. lacking per se. I just <laughs> no, expected no, I know. it to be more robust. Of the catalog of Magnify that I shared with you, this is the one that I've been looking forward to the most. Yeah. Because this was my favorite of the bunch. I would say I don't remember the other ones that well. Like, I remember, like, liking mm-hmm. them enough. But, like, I, I, yeah. to be able to compare and contrast. Um, but this is really damn good. It's probably the best one. Yeah. Yet. Excellent. Excellent. Which is fitting. Uh, and will work really well with the rest of this episode. We've got a decent amount of news and nuggets to discuss. Probably too much. Um, for, for how many considering items would you the movie, say you have? Considering the movie we're doing. Well, one of them I have, yeah. I know 100% is going to be the same one as yours, because it's the sure. trailer I texted you about earlier today. Um, but I have four and a half. Four, four, and, four a- and then one other one quickly if we have time. Perfect. Okay, about four. That's that's good. I've got about the same. Um, actually, I've got a little bit more, but then it like you know it joins in with the ones you've had. So I want to start off with something uh, that piqued my interest earlier this week when I read it, uh, and that is... Richard Linklater's film that he's working on currently that's going to be spanning over the next 20 years. Wait, what? Yes. So the last time he did this was Boyhood, and it was a 12-year span. The movie was shot over 12 yeah, years. Yes, Boyhood? Yeah. This one is being shot over 20 years, and it's a musical. Oh. Uh, isn't he, which isn't is, he, how, how old is he? Isn't he getting? I, I didn't want to ask that question, and I didn't want to look it up because I'm too excited about the prospect of what this can be to to worry about the potential that maybe something will go isn't wrong. Isn't he getting old to be planning a 20 year project? Maybe, but damn, if that's not ambitious. Like, well, sure, <laughs> but what I, I guess what I'm saying is, like, unless you're going to tell me like this is like retroactive, where it's like he started this at some point while he was still working on Boyhood, because now he needs to shoot that. 12 years sure. straight, you know what I mean? Right, right. It sounds like it, it sounds like the perfect setup for one of those Andy Samberg mockumentaries on HBO. Oh, okay. He's not that old. He's almost uh, he's almost 60. All right. So, yeah, I mean that's that's a lot. I really hope he's already undertaken. this. <laughs> yeah, me too. But uh so a couple of of things that I'm very excited about with it are uh first off Best friends Ben Platt and Beanie Feldstein are in the movie. Wait, who's Ben Platt? Ben Platt was in Dear Evan Hansen. He's the goofy kid in Pitch Perfect. The you don't you you you're not you're not familiar. I never saw Pitch Perfect. Okay, well he's tremendous. His music is phenomenal. He's incredible on Broadway, and uh, Kim and I adore him. 
So seeing having him be a part of this is very exciting. He's also going to be in that new Netflix show, The Politician, coming out I'm not uh, in September, uh, which looks really good, too. You should check that one out. Um, but uh, him and Vini were actually both on Armchair Expert within the past few weeks. So if you want to get to know them to, a little bit. Together can... or separately? No, separately. Okay. I know um, I know her. Um, she's been, she was in The Second Neighbor. She was in... Uh, yeah. She uh, she was actually, she had a, kind of a small part that looked like they're definitely growing it for the second season um, in um, What We Do in the Shadows. Oh, really? Yeah, she um, is, what, what um, Nadja turns her into a vampire. She's the only person on the show who actually successfully adds someone to their ranks over the course of the whole first season. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, the, their whole mandate was in the 150 years they were here, they were supposed to have conquered the U.S. and all they've c- conquered is part of the block they live on. <laughs> it's so ridiculous it's like i really i gotta get back to it it's so it's so silly uh but anyway the the two of them are are very close friends in real life uh so they might have some interesting chemistry i don't know what their characters will be like on screen in the movie i don't really know what anybody's playing i don't know anything about the actual source material that it's coming from the title is merrily we roll along oh isn't that a Broadway uh, play it is, and what's interesting about it from my understanding is the story starts at the top and flashes backwards, which could work really well with this mechanic of shooting it over time and actually capturing the time in which it was shot. Hmm. Um, so that could be interesting, and I'm really excited to see that. Uh, yeah, if, if you can remember, <laughs> if you can remember to see it for your fiftieth birthday. <laughs> yeah, much. Yeah, exactly. Kim and I were talking about that too. We were just like, "I'll be." Ugh. <laughs> Let's not think about that. I just hope the movie actually makes it. Um, but I love I love a good musical. I love those people. I'm excited to see where this goes. I think it could be really good. Uh, we'll see. Hopefully we're still doing this. <laughs> Our... Now that's ambitious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what episode number would that be? Well, considering we can't really do the math on it because somehow we've hit our 100th episode in like our 130th week. Um, I don't know. It's like day math. What's that? That's like day math yeah. you were trying to do earlier. Uh, I don't, to don't even out. get it started. <laughs> but, uh, oh no, so 700. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you have that backwards. <laughs> Wait, oh, no. man. No, no. Yeah, that's probably the right one, actually, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, anyway, that's something interesting to keep an eye on. Uh, news about it will probably be sparse for a very long time. But as little things trickle out, it could be interesting to hear like how production is going, where it's going. Uh, maybe, maybe I'll, you know, get familiar with the source material over the next 20 years. I've got the time. I'm going to totally <laughs> forget about this until you remind me 20 years from now. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, so why don't you give me a news? Um, well, speaking about not knowing really what's going on and someone being cast in something... Let's mm. talk about the Lord of the Rings show from Amazon, okay. which just announced today, or at least it was reported today, that uh, Lord of the Rings series has cast Will Poulter as a lead role. Um, Why does that name sound familiar? Because he's been in things you've seen. Uh, he is oh, the... Classic. The, he's the, the, ki- <laughs> the kid from uh, We Are the Millers. Perfect. Um, as well as a bunch of other things. He was in that movie Midsommar that came out earlier this year, mm-hmm. that horror movie that everyone was talking about. Um, and he's been in a bunch of other things. One of the, not the Hunger Games, the other knockoff of the Hunger Games. Um, Divergent? What? Divergent? No, not that one. Um, uh, the Ma- Maze Runner? The Maze Runner? Maze Runner. Yeah. I actually liked, I liked the ones of those that I saw. They were, they were great plane movies. 
Oh, okay. I've got an article um, on plane movies out there if you want to go see it on the spin That's show. true, you did do that. Yeah, um, it's got a slightly different movie rating scale. <laughs> this is... Um, it's just a plus two. This is from The Hollywood Reporter. I'm just going to read the blurb about this that's the most important. Uh, okay. Will Poulter will star, star in the show based on J.R.R. Tolkien's iconic fantasy novels. Details of his role are being kept under wraps. He will join Australian actress Markella Cavanaugh, who was the first person to be cast in the project. Amazon thus far has declined comment. Um, and then there's just something about what we discussed in the past. Showrunners J.D. Payne and Patrick McKay are adapting the story. Uh, Jay Bayona, uh, who directed the Jurassic World of Fallen Kingdom, is set to direct the first two episodes and will executive produce, along with his producing partner, Balin Atienza. Writers Jennifer Hutchinson from Breaking Bad, Jason Cahill from The Sopranos, and Justin Doble from Stranger Things are also executive producers, as are Lindsay Weber, Bruce Richmond, Gene Kelly, and former Amazon head of genre, uh, Sharon Taligato. So, I think Brian, not I think, a lot of information, just a lot of names. Yeah, I thought Brian Cogman was working on this too, or is he working on The Mandalorian? I have a lot of different prestige shows popped up in my head. I, <laughs> there's so much happening right now. Um, Brian Cogman. So much related to things that we love. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I thought this was an interesting. That's the first. I mean, the other person who was mentioned, I think she's relatively no named, was it Markella Cavanaugh? Um, and mm. I don't think that it was reported that she was going to be a lead actress, just that she was the first okay. person who was actually cast with like you know a named role. Um, but gotcha. it was reported that Poulter is... I don't know if he's the lead, but he is a lead in the show. Cool. Uh, he is British he in was, real life, so... <laughs> uh, he was the person that was up for It and eventually went separate ways, correct? For It? Yeah. I don't think so, is he? I vaguely remember... There was a bunch uh, of people who were at first, right? But I didn't think it was him. I believe he was one of them. Huh. Uh, anyway, uh... That was uh, if it, it was if it's the uh, the person that I'm thinking about. He was like, there was something the, the darkness of the character was like concerning and uh, wasn't jo- yeah it is I'm pretty yeah I'm pretty sure it was him. He um, was he was also in uh, the Revenant, wasn't he? I think he could have pulled it off. He was in what? Wasn't he in the Revenant? Wasn't he part of the the whole group of guys? I think he had a. I don't want to remember think, that movie. I think he had a bad mustache. <laughs> is that what, that movies that are in a time frame similar to that? Can be described as bad mustache movies. Yeah, no, but it's just like I don't know if um, no mustache would work for him, but that mustache didn't work for him. <laughs> sure, sure, yeah. Or at uh, least it was not distracting a face me. built for facial hair. No, no. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, you had mentioned in that list of names uh, there was something Breaking Bad related, which I'm going to use to talk about the next story, and that is the release date of the Breaking Bad movie yeah, coming to Netflix. Yeah, did we forget to talk about that last week? Yeah. Okay, because I kind of forgot most of that episode um minus some messages that came into me from people who listened to, to that episode um yeah. but i realized i think i remember having that as a note on my phone and i didn't transfer it over to the sh- mm. actual show notes and then like 15 minutes after we finished recording i was like fuck i completely forgot that very large <laughs> bit of news that i wanted to discuss right oh well so we'll, we'll hear now and you know what there'll always be another episode al there'll i mean i sure be. hope so Another episode. Uh, Breaking Bad will be releasing October 11th. Yes, on Netflix, right? On Netflix. Yep. Uh, and later, at some point, it'll be on AMC. But I'm surprised it's, it's not to Netflix. I'm surprised they're not doing it on AMC for like one run and then 
right. releasing it like like a live viewing, like a live like a yeah. set time. Type like thing. I would have yeah. thought that that would have been the deal, and then like you would pull it from on demand services and only put it on Netflix exclusively after that. You know what I mean? Right. Well, it's funny that you say that because that leads me to one of the notes that I had on the trailer. Okay. Which is, it looks very Netflix. It doesn't look. From the, the color palette and shooting style. Well, the color the color palette Netflix. of I'm I'm struggling to remember now. Was it the only scene just them talking to Skinny Pete? Yes. Because yeah, that 100 percent looked Netflix and not AMC Breaking Bad. Which concerned me a little bit, but I wonder if it's just if they just played it up because it's very heightened. So I'm wondering if that was just something that they played up for that specific thing. Like it's it's, it's entirely it's possible, possible that that's not even going to be in the movie. You know what I mean? Sure. Or it could be the sure. very it could just first be like a nice scene. like a tease of what's happening over like the tone piece or whatever. Yeah. Or it could be like the very first scene, and then they they scrap that for whatever's going forward. Or they could they could like m- like mat it out more for what comes like on screen yeah. when we watch it because yeah that doesn't fit. Like AMC has like a house style that all of their shows mostly adhere to, with the exception of maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't think I haven't seen any of the second season yet, but I don't think the terror quite looked like any of the other AMC shows. But I've noticed between Walking Dead and Breaking Bad and Halt and Catch Fire and the little bits of humans that I've seen and a few other things that yes, they all have that very similar uh, cinematography. So right, but but if you combine that with what we know about it coming to Netflix first, that's why it's I, that's why I find that to be a little bit more interesting than just a throwaway. Like I could just go like, oh yeah, whatever. You know what it reminds me of is you remember like. When we were younger, when uh, when they would adapt like a cartoon show to a cartoon movie that had a theatrical release, like I specifically remember like watching like the Rugrats and then watching the Rugrats movie, and mm. the colors are wrong because they put yeah. like a huge budget into it because it's a two-hour movie instead of mm-hmm. thirty episodes of a show, and it looks yep. wrong. It's disorienting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that just shows that how early on you were critiquing. Uh, TV and movies. I just remember sitting down in the movie. I'm like, this isn't right. <laughs> you sit down in the movie. You're like six, and the Rugrats come on, and you're like, this is horseshit. Yeah. And you just leave. That was basically what it was. I was like, this isn't right. I don't know what you're trying to pull. Well, think here. about it. If you, you know, if you're Rugrats. that age, and you watch the show like every day is like a little kid who's in like yeah. preschool, kindergarten, and it's like, oh, like I've watched hundred episodes of this show and each of those like three or four times and they all look exactly the same and now this thing doesn't look like those things something is <laughs> wrong damn it something's not right i saw a rugrats play and it was pretty entertaining didn't they do a reptar on ice on ice i don't know if it was reptar on ice i don't know what it was yes i said they were they had ice. like giant costumes though they were like they were like oversized paper mache is what i don't, I don't like, like that that sounds creepy now it would probably be creepy as a kid it was like oh my god they came to life you know what it reminds me of is you must have seen right that um the um the shia labeouf video the 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 movie or not movie the 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 video with the, um the, the orchestra and the chorus when they sing the one about um serial killer shia labeouf yeah it's a comedian i can't remember his name like did it um one of the greatest your vid- brother showed one of me. the greatest videos of all time yeah i figured you must have seen it because yeah. you know us um, and we had the pleasure of uh, introducing Joe's boyfriend, Kevin, to the video for the first time. Excellent. Um, I love that so much. Isn't that fun? I love I love when you have just like a back pocket thing that you love so much and you're seeing somebody for the first time that hasn't 
seen it and you're just like allow me to open your world yeah that was very meta because that was the whole point of this episode in which i introduced you to cloud atlas <laughs> um i see it. but uh see what i did there? yeah i did um but yeah no i uh, that's one of the purest joys you will find in like two and a half to three minutes of a video like that i love that video so much but yep. there's the whole sequence with the two or three dancers dancing around with the huge paper mache shiloh above heads on and that you talking about that that yep. show reminds me of this. No, I can see that. Especially when you're talking about like a Tommy head, which is already misshapen and has like three hairs. Yeah. It's it's weird. It's weird. Uh, now thinking about it, it's terrifying. <laughs> uh, but circling back to Breaking Bad. So Man, what we know about it. That was a wild it, tangent. It, <laughs> it's, take, it's taking place 16 years after the close of the series. Oh, did they say that? Yes. Oh, I, I actually it's, didn't get that. Focused on this is just from an I I I was reading all sorts of stuff I could find on it. Well, I have uh, been curious, focused, but I didn't realize that that they had confirmed that, and I'm I'm especially surprised that it's that long after. I wouldn't have been surprised me too. if it was like maybe five or six years or something like that. I'm definitely so I only got that from one source, so you can't obviously I can't corroborate it with something else. Um, and based on everything else that I've found on the internet today, it could have been a typo. Okay. <laughs> because I was telling Al earlier when we get into quizzes later. <laughs> uh. Some of the questions and answers of the quiz are spelled completely wrong, and I will point those out as they come up. <laughs> but anyway, uh, maybe it's six years. You know, slipped and hit the one. It's no. entirely But anyway, possible. what I read was 16 years. Uh, focused on Jesse Pinkman, try, like, living slash trying to live. Like, what it means for him to live in this, like, post-Breaking Bad world and, like, be having some sort of life and figuring that out could be interesting. Um what I'm interested about is like the what Breaking Bad has always done well is like sit and stew for a while in like the psychology of it, right? Of like what is what this person could be feeling or thinking or how they could possibly experience anything normal. And they, this person can't, right? There's nothing there's nothing remotely normal about Jesse Pinkman's life going forward, nor has there been for the past however many years. I don't know how long the show took place over. Basically, since he was like probably twelve, so it's like yeah, I'm just saying like it's it, isn't that it's like wild because the character is is broken on so many levels, uh, and trying to integrate somehow in some way with the rest of the world could be a really interesting movie. Uh, it would be a very dark and long show, which I think is probably why it's a movie. <laughs> uh, well, I remember, I, I was as skeptical as anyone that Better Call Saul would work, and boy does it ever so i'm inclined to let gilligan and i always forget the other guy's name i feel bad because he's nearly as important um, right the, peter gold um yeah i will trust them as long as they are associated with the making of whatever properties in this universe, for sure i assume there's a certain baseline of quality that will follow so yeah that was another one of my interests was like are they how involved were they in the decision of making this um or was this a like a an ownership of the property that led to it being made and they have some, they just have something to do with it. Do you know that information? No, they're making it. Okay. No, I was saying, but like, was it something that they initiated? Um, or what do you mean? Like did AMC can like convince them or did they like want to do it? Exactly. That's what uh, I mean. I'm not entirely sure, but okay. I'm sure that they're, I'm sure that they're in a position where they can't exactly be strong armed into it. So I'm sure that if they're doing it, they're doing it because they have a story to tell. Now, let me get uh, your ta let's get some wild speculation. Okay. I'm usually knowing I'm usually nothing about that. knowing nothing about the show uh about the movie, I should say. 
Does Jesse Pinkman make it out of this movie? Uh, I guess it depends on whether they have more more story to tell about it. Hmm. Um, if they don't, if this is a one-off singular story about the remaining story of Jesse Pinkman, then I would say think... not necessarily. I'd basically put it at fifty-fifty. Okay. I, you think I guess it that... depends on what what does he feel like he needs to do in order to be able to live with himself. Because there's right. the, him driving away and like yelling, screaming, laughing, crying is just pure catharsis. Like n- sure. now, finally, I can truly escape everything about everything I've been a part of. Like I don't, I'm not beholden to anyone or anything. Like basically, if I can make it to the border or whatever, like I'm free and clear. And whatever comes next will be the first time I've made actual choices in my life in years. Right. Um, and whether that's a good or a bad thing, I don't know. But the point is, it's giving agency back to him. Um, in a way that sure. he hasn't had since he decided to join up with Heisenberg. Um, Which makes me, like, it could be very interesting. I just, I, you know, bracing my, uh, Breaking Bad, obviously, not a feel-good show. Uh, it's it's dark, and I don't expect this to end any less dark than the series did. No, um, but dark can mean a lot of different things. So, if there's a specific way... That he feels like he can, quote-unquote, atone for what he's done. Um, Because as much as, at the end of it all, he's as much a victim as anyone. uh, Though, very much a perpetrator of some of the bad things that got on me. He he outright murdered a couple of people over the course of the show. And you can say whether or not he was, quote-unquote, forced to do it or not. He still made those choices. Um, Yeah. So, but in the end, he was manipulated it's like darth vader like darth vader is a villain but ultimately he was manipulated by someone above him right right um and in the same way he is the vader to walter white's palpatine um and just in the same way as vader you know frees himself from the shackles of that relationship he has to choose what he's going to do and in this case his choice resulted in him dying about 30 minutes later um but he died, quote-unquote, atoning. And you can say whether or not the ledger makes him free and clear, if he's back in the black or not. I'm not here to argue that, but just the point is... Sure. He did his best with the time that he had left to him, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it seems like Jesse has quite a bit more time available to him to try and right those wrongs. Um, so I'm curious to see if that... You're right. If, if that ends with his final bit of atonement being, I've done the best good that I can do, but it doesn't mean I get to live a happy ending. Um, mm-hmm. But it's possible that it does, um, or as happy of an ending as it's possible for him to have. Does this movie have any chance of tying in with black and white scenes of Better Call Saul? I'm sure it could, but I'd be afraid of them trying. It, I would. I would be concerned. Be forced that it would be too fan servicey to do that. Mm, um, that's fair. But I wouldn't rule it out. Um, like I said, if anyone could figure out how to do it right it would be them. oh yeah it's them um but i would hope that they wouldn't feel required to do that you know what i mean yeah same uh, outside of maybe like if you if everyone's been caught up with um better call saul and it's the first scene of the season right you know him ending up in the hospital or whatever um in the future thing if something happened where it's revealed who he is if maybe he has on the in the news in the background some press conference about saul goodman being located finally Mm. That would be about the only way that I would really, really want that to be handled. 
Um, but yeah, I, oh, that could be interesting. I suppose, it's, or like, because it's just a nod. Then you know what I mean, like, or even as he's, as, maybe he's starting to to come. Maybe this this movie's a roller coaster, and as he's starting to get settled, seeing something like that just kind of blows up this what he's built in the past, however long. Or even if it's just a one final, like if he finally feels like he's fully, truly left it all behind, and like. It ends with him sitting down and turning on the TV and the final scene is him seeing that on the news and the look yeah. on his face where he'll never really leave it behind. Right. Oh, that could, yeah, that's a, I, okay, see, I'm excited. <laughs> I, uh, well, obviously, and what I love about it is it's a movie so we can do it here as an episode. It's going to be great. I'm excited. Um, uh, give me a news. Um, Ben Wheatley will be directing the Tomb Raider sequel. Damn it, I forgot to find the fucking news one on this one. All the things. I was so prepared. Uh, um, <laughs> did you see the uh, the Alicia Vikander? Um, yes. Okay. I, that was a plane movie. I thought that was the case, <laughs> but I wasn't 100% sure. Um, what that the, was a plane movie where I was like, eh, whatever. Well, we had, we had considered, before that movie came out, we had considered trying to do it for the show, and it never manifested itself. Um, mm-hmm. The reviews I heard range from this is bad to it's not the worst thing you'll ever see because there's some cool stuff but also a lot of it's bland right um what was your take on it as quickly as possible it's just uh, i i that like weird noise that i made was pretty much how i feel about it it's just it's like eh, whatever like i'm not i'm not mad i watched it i didn't feel like i wasted my time granted i was stuck in a tin can flying through the air uh, he's but here he's <laughs> uh, I would say it's <laughs> if I was uh, if I was watching it at home, I probably would have been like checking my phone, okay, reading up articles. Like I was not, it's not, it wasn't super engaging by any means. And it, but it's not, it wasn't like it wasn't su- like bad. It wasn't a bad movie. It was just a it just wasn't a good movie. movie. <laughs> well, so that movie was directed by a man whose first name is Roar. <laughs> Perfect. R O A R, as in like the sound. Uh, Roar. Yeah. Uth- no, I got you. Roar Uthal. Okay. <laughs> um, I don't know who that is. But do you know the name Ben Wheatley, who I said will be directing the sequel? I don't. So let me know if this piques your interest more to see a sequel, because Ben Wheatley was the guy who directed Free Fire. Okay. Yeah. I'm in. <laughs> Just I'll buy my tickets tomorrow. Um, and for those of you listening here who are not familiar with Free Fire, uh, me and Anthony love Free Fire. We've talked about it on Free the show. Free Fire is like a low-key can enter a top 10 list. Wow. Like it's, wow. Okay. I'm not saying it does. I'm saying if you had it in your list, I'd be like, oh, all right. <laughs> I, I, I see where you're coming from. Um, yeah, we've talked about it a few times on the show. We've done an episode on it, so go check it out if you're not familiar with yeah. it. Yeah, oh, man. Go check out the movie because it's like 90 minutes long, and it's very entertaining. It's pitch black comedy with action oh, so good it's got a weirdly excellent cast um it's it's just it's a time it's a it's so good um so it's such a good movie <laughs> i'm really curious not having seen anything else that he's done to see a lara croft movie with him doing it i'm not i don't even know what the fuck that would look like but i'm intrigued even if it's even if it's terrible i'm intrigued in seeing what it was all about um and i believe that the writer amy jump also worked on free fire with ben wheatley Oh. Um, so they already set a release date of March nineteenth, twenty twenty one. I know okay, nothing so got else some about time. It other than this, but I saw that a couple hours ago, and I was like, "This is a, uh, this is news." <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is 
That is. Uh, I might sound a little distracted right now, and that is because I realized as I was talking that I don't actually have this movie in the collection to the left of me, oh. and I was trying to buy it <laughs> while you were talking. No, that's uh, a, that that is a surprising omission from your collection of uh, we established over five hundred movies. Yeah, we're over five hundred at this point. Wow. Although, wait, is that five hundred individual movies? Because you have some movies like five times over. Uh, yes. <laughs> so it's, it's 500, 500 unique movies it's it's over 500 unique movies Fan, yes fantastic yeah um I, I, I have a good wall of movies behind me too but it's not as good as your list the what's annoying is that while i was looking up looking that up real quick there's no 4k version of it and that's a movie i really want in really? 4K. so oh at least on disc here's the thing uh, oh, you can buy I get digital? the digital future of movies, but I when it comes to movies, it's like the one, it's the only thing I collect is movies. Yeah. So I want the physical. I mean, listen, they still print books, thing. so I'm sure you'll be able to find it somewhere. Yeah. Well, no, they have it in Blu-ray. Oh, but you want? I just it doesn't. Have full I, I'd 4K. like the 4K version if there if one exists. I'm surprised because it's not like they should have to really redo it. Like the movie only came out a couple of years ago. Right. Which is yeah. Which is interesting. Now, granted, the Blu-ray is 9.99, and that is a travesty because Detective Pikachu is thirty dollars. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. Uh. So that's yeah, that's infuriating. Um. Wow. I did not. I I did not. That that story took us on some twists and turns. I didn't know where we were going with it. I uh, didn't think that I'd be excited about a Tomb Raider movie, but. Yeah, I, here I, I, I could just see you. Why the fuck is he talking about a Tomb Raider sequel? I saw that movie. It was. I, I, why do I, I don't even remember I saw that movie. Wait, <laughs> who's directing it? <laughs> the games are fun. The, or at least the last game I played was. The thing is, I actually liked the original Angelina, Angelina Jolie Tomb Raider. That was fun to listen to. Can you say that again? <laughs> An- Angelina, Lina, uh, Angelina Jolie Tomb Raider. Um, mm. It's not a good movie, but no. it is a fun movie. It's yeah, a cheesy, fun. batshit, insane movie. You know how I feel about fun movies. All form. That's what I'm saying. I was talking about that with some, uh, some people the other day about a Blade Trinity. It is a bad but fun movie. Mm, yeah. That was uh, a whole did... conversation we don't have time to get into. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a... I, I need to rewatch the Blade. That's another series I don't have. That's... Oh, my God. By the time we end this call, I'm going to be over 600 movies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> um, the thing is... Like, I've seen all of the first Blade, although, honestly, I may have never seen it all in one shot. I've seen really parts of it a million times. So, like, mm-hmm. I, I like have a general gist of how the whole movie went, but Blade 2 is an excellent movie. It's not a bad, watched... fun movie. It's a good movie, especially for the time it came out in, like, what it was prior to superhero movies meaning something. Right. Right. I think the first time I saw Blade was with Kelly and Tony. I'm assuming that one or two I saw with them for the first time as well. <laughs> most people's first time seeing Blade was with them. Yes. <laughs> Is that what you're saying? In the Got world, it. Most right. <laughs> awesome. Uh, so the Joker is coming in hot with a 10 from IGN. What? I didn't actually read their review. I know Brian sent it to uh, us. I stopped because I don't. I, I, I'm hesitant to read through the reviews of. I don't want any hint. Uh, if the, if but, it's but, scoring that well, I don't want any other information. IGN doesn't does their spoiler free. They do, but I, you can. I mean, how close are we to movies? You can read between the lines on a lot of things. That's true. I've read a paragraph that would be nothing to someone, and to me, it was like, well, that's the ending. Like, the thing <laughs> it's, is, I don't. From what I've been hearing, and this is something I've been hearing for months now. Before I see it, I 
kind of want to finally get to see Taxi Driver and The King of Comedy or mm. The Last King of Comedy, whatever that other Scorsese yeah, yeah, yeah. movie is that I never heard of until the first trailer for Joker came out. Um, gotcha. But, yeah, I, well, the thing is, I've seen very polarized response to this movie already. Um, and yeah. I can understand it, and it was the type of thing I had been wondering about for a while before I actually knew what the movie was about. And it does seem to be confirming both the best and the worst of everything I kind of anticipated about this movie. Mm. I'm a little concerned, and from what I'm reading about the concerns, it sounds justifiable. Um, I'm also curious to see the movie. It, it's a complicated subject, um, sure. if you know what I'm talking about. And for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, the whole idea of... Um, it, it seems like they're going towards the way... It, we had talked about it. Right? Was that the Killing Joke? Was that the one? Um, where it's like the, yeah. the one bad day type of thing. It was a one shot, right? The, the Killing Joke, I believe, is the one where we actually have a history. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. It was like a one shot like installment, wasn't it? Yeah, oh, it's like a graphic novel. Yeah. It's, a, it's um, own little... Yeah. And it's the one where it's the whole thing, right, where he gets pushed to being the Joker or whatever. Uh, yeah. Um, so I can understand why there's a backlash against that. And you could see from the trailers why it would already have been leading towards that. And the having watched the movies that the people saw in the, the Venice um, Film Festival or whatever, mm -hmm. it sounds like that's basically more or less justified. Like, again, the, the last was it the last King of Comedy or whatever. Um, it's basically the same thing, except not a murderous clown. Uh, <laughs> so I can understand why people would push back against that. I'm always concerned about that sort of thing. I was watching something, and the the immediate analogies I was thinking of were also brought up in the video, talking about how people draw inspiration uh, and ardor for these sorts of movies, and it's the exact sort of people who it's lampooning, and they don't realize it. Movies like Fight Club and The Wolf of Wall Street and all those sorts of things. That really, a lot of Scorsese movies, Goodfellas, Wolf of Wall Street... Uh, tax driver, all that stuff, where people idolize these sorts of things, and it's like, no, no, no the whole point of that movie is, this is bad. Uh, mm. <laughs> like, compelling, interesting, yes, but ultimately bad. Like, people took Fight Club literally, and Chuck Palahniuk and David Fincher are saying, guys, yeah, this looks fun and interesting, but when the bill comes due, this is bad. Right. <laughs> and a lot of people don't realize that. The same thing even with what we did last week with the matrix, like it's turned into this whole thing where two different groups of people who have read the text to mean two wildly different things. Sure. And the quote unquote bad thing, too many people are like the arduous supporters of it are that, you know, the whole red pill bullshit. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, it's, I can see why that would be the backlash in this case for this movie. Sure. Well, when it comes to the Joker, and here's... I, I get what you're saying. Um, but what... The Joker feels a little different to me. And I... So I, I've, I've said before, I, I have... The Killing Joke, people love it, right? Batman fans, Joker fans, they love it. I don't find The Killing Joke to be the best, or even nearly the best, version or story of The Joker. Yeah, I remember us talking about that uh, a couple of months ago, and you were basically saying that like you liked it but didn't love it. Yeah, exactly, and I think I think it's important. I think it's I think it defines the character that's been around for a long time. Like it, it, it like it influences a lot of the on-screen Joker appearances, but it's not it's not what draws me to the character. And I get what you're saying. The Joker is a bad. It's a it's it's bad, <laughs> it, but it's in it is interesting, and 
in its comic book form or movie form, it's entertaining. And the mystique behind the character is always what I found to be so interesting. Anytime you've showed me where he's come from, it's less interesting than the mystery of like, why is this guy so crazy? Like, it's just, he's, it's almost like he's a force that was created to balance out something else, which I, which I find to be more interesting. And taking- a, lot, a lot of times it is, it, it takes incredible thought and planning and just flat out writing to make those sorts of characters interesting when you give them a backstory. And it's, the type of thing I've butted heads with people about who had issues with the the sequel trilogy of Star Wars so far. Mm. People being very angry about Snoke being killed off without a lot of backstory. And it's like, you do realize that what the ultimately the most interesting thing about him is that you don't know anything about him. Um, yeah. And it's trying to catch lightning in a bottle twice to give him a compelling backstory in the way that they did with Palpatine. Because when you think about it, for 30 years, or 20 years, whatever, however long it was, uh, the most interesting thing about Palpatine was that you didn't know how he... Yeah, it's just this evil force. This held guy sway that was over bad all this. and there. And it's one of the very few things that Lucas got right with the prequel trilogy. His backstory was compelling. Oh yeah, tremendous. That is a rarity in this mm-hmm. business. Um, yeah, it's very easy to make them less interesting by giving them an explanation, and that's. It sounds like that was how you uh, interpreted the Killing Joke. I never actually read the thing. I yeah. I know the broad strokes of it, though. I looked into the background of it. The um, thing is, at, at the end of the day, you can uh, you can critique the character. You can think about the character all day long. I don't. It's it's and you, when you do something like that, you're trying to find an answer. But at the same time, I don't want the answer. Like that. I, that's reason- what I find exciting about it. There's a reason a lot of prequels fail. It's why I just said a, few, yeah. a little while ago, like I, I wasn't sure how Better Call Saul could be good. But right. they are some of the best writers in the business of the last 30 years. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. So they thought about it, they planned it, and they wrote compellingly the origins of Saul Goodman. In lesser hands, it would be utterly inane. Um, yeah. And I wouldn't have watched past the first season probably. But in the hands of those two masters, um, it's the best show that's currently running on television, probably. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's we'll, we'll see. I'm I'm curious where this where the movie is. I'm based on the feedback. I'm uh, my my anticipation level has risen. I'm actually very very excited for it. I'm glad that I will be away uh, when it comes out, and when I come back, it'll be there for me. And I can come and watch it, and I'll be really excited. Yeah, but uh, that also means that you're going to have to work doubly hard to avoid the spoilers. Uh, I probably won't really be on anything social media for that time period anyway. No, or... I mean the time you come back until you get to the movie theater. Oh, I mean, I'm thinking within the day after the day I land. like it's <laughs> just, uh, dr- I, just drive straight to the theater instead just of... Just go to the theater, instead yeah. Instead of going home. Yeah. It's like, I mean, we're awake now, right? Like, I don't know what time it's going to be. I don't know how that works. Uh... what was uh that's that's gonna be so i'm i'm very excited and i think i feel like i'm i've got a tingle that there's gonna be a long episode in our future about that because i feel like we're gonna probably dive into other aspects of the character and batman and the histories and whatnot but uh, i'm excited i'm interested to see the movie uh i'm not saying that it can't be a good movie but yeah, I can understand the larger conversation around whether or not this movie 
what we had argued whether or not this movie needed to be made for entirely different reasons. Oh, um, yeah. And these reasons are a justifiable conversation to have about it. That's, I guess, what I'm getting at. Um, especially in the way that kind of society's been going the last couple of years. It's not like this is the end of the world. It sure sh- shouldn't be. Um, uh, but it's, it is a conversation worth having, whether this movie needs yeah. to be made. Yeah, and I think that conversation will be even more interesting after it's out. Sure. Um, that being said, uh, we can move on from the Joker for now because we've got plenty to discuss. Sure. But why don't you give me a new? Uh, okay, I have a new. The In a interview that just came out today on Entertainment Weekly, um, we got a little another t- tidbit about what The Mandalorian is going to be all about. Oh. Uh, namely, that The Mandalorian will be exploring the origins of the First Order. Really? Yes. The Mandalorian is going to fill in some of the backstory of a big mystery in the current Star Wars trilogy. The upcoming Disney Plus series is set to explore some of the early origins of the First Order, the dictatorship commanded by Supreme Leader Snoke that rose up to succeed the fallen galactic empire that was defeated in Return of the Jedi. This doesn't turn into a good guy universe just because you blew up two Death Stars, Uh, Mandalorian director Dave Filoni quipped. You get that the Rebels won and they're trying to establish a Republic, but there's no way that could have set in for everybody all at once. You have... In a Western, which this show has been described as, um, mm-hmm. where you're out on the frontier and there might be, there might be Washington and you might have some marshals, but sometimes, but sometimes you have to have good luck in finding one. Also, what could happen in the 30 years between celebrating the defeat of the Empire and then the rise of the First Order? T's showrunner, John Favreau. You come in on Episode 7, the First Order are not just starting out. They're already pretty far along. They're pretty well equipped, Dave Filoni added. So somehow, things weren't necessarily managed as well as they could have been if the galaxy ended up in hot water again like that. In The Mandalorian, Giancarlo Esposito, from Breaking Bad, plays Moff Gideon, a former Imperial governor now set adrift in the wake of the Emperor's downfall. So one possibility could be that Gideon seeks to reunite the scattered broken factions, but that's just our speculation. There has been an explanation of the rise of the First Order in the expanded universe. The book Star Wars Aftermath by Chuck Wendig and Star Wars Bloodline by Claudia Gray told of how Imperial remnants fled to the Outer Rim, waged a cold war against the New Republic, and solidified into the First Order six years before the events in The Force Awakens. The Mandalorian plans to use elements from across the Skywalker Saga films, The Clone Wars, and other animated series in the extended universe in its storytelling. I'm excited. Me too. Um, this, I, uh... this makes sense to me, especially let's, since let's... they said this is going to take place a couple of years, I think it was six years after... Um, the events of Return of the Jedi. So this yeah. totally makes sense. It's kind of the opposite end of the whole idea of like Solo, where that's several years before um, Rogue One slash Episode 4, um, where you're into that gritty, dirty time of transition. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is, again, tackling transition, but now of the other side of things are trying to swing back to balance in the good sense. Um and things maybe don't work out as well as you might have thought. So what's interesting here to me is what we we just talked about, like the prelude sometimes doesn't work, and a lot of cases doesn't work. Getting more information from before the decisions are made. But what Can about we, an interlude? <laughs> well, what what I find about what what I think is going to work for this is getting more information about the background of the politics is always interesting and can change opinions. I mean, it's not going to change our opinion on the first order, but it's 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 curious to see like i i actually do want to see how that happened and i also don't think it's going to be the central focus at least not sure. starting out 
Because we're following... But those a, details will be there. We're following a group of Mandalorian bounty hunters. So I'm sure that the, the political machinations of a fledgling New Republic isn't first and foremost what a random bounty hunter and his guild of bounty hunters is interested in, right? Um, mm-hmm. But those things going on around it can quickly sweep, sweep them up into the whole thing. And could this enter into a situation where it would vault at least a Pedro Pascal's character, if not more of their characters, into the larger universe of the movies and TV shows outside of just this single show. If uh, they've already greenlit a season two for the show and it still doesn't come out for another, what, two months? Um, yeah. So it's not, not going to show up in episode nine, probably, right? But we have two other trilogies of movies that are coming up. Could this character and everything that goes on around him, like those are years in advance, could this all be parlayed into involvement in some of the other things that are going on in this timeline, these 30 right. plus years after Return of the Jedi, could there be a greater synergy, a Marvel Cinematic Universe type synergy where this character, since this isn't trying to pull someone from the old canon, this is creating, synthesizing new canon right. into the grinding gears of what's going on with all of this. Could he take a larger part of the stage somewhere down the line? Uh, this is I'm very excited <laughs> just the possibilities uh, also that and just just more Star Wars just the nine coming out and getting closer and closer and just my just like all of the hair is standing on its end <laughs> like I'm very excited uh, man and that's November we said right I think it's isn't it November 12th or something like that something like that uh, but man, that's gonna be. Uh, I'm very excited to sit down and watch that first one, uh, and get, like toss myself into that world again. Um, I've got a new November twelfth. Yes, go ahead. Give but, me your. I, new. It's more more of a nugget, I guess. Uh, I saw the new Terminator Dark Fat trailer. <laughs> oh, I forgot there was that trailer. I didn't see it yet. You haven't seen it. So, I uh, here are the things that I've gathered. Uh, one, it got me as I was watching it. I went on a roller coaster ride. I was getting very, very excited. I was like, oh my god, I actually... Oh, I'm more into this than I thought I was. As it went on. And then it went on. And then it continued to go on. (laughs) And then it did trailer things. Where it told me things. You mean annoying trailer things? It did, yeah. Like, it's like, it showed a really badass fight sequence that looks like it's the destruction of one of the machines. And I'm just like... If that's how it happens, no, it's not. It's not all about the journey. Yes, I, I'm with you. The journey's important, <laughs> but I, <laughs> don't show me that in the trailer. I'm really hoping that that's not the case here. Uh, but well, whatever, we'll see. It, it also splits at one point, so that might have been one of the two of them. Who knows? It just bothered me. Uh, that being said, there's something. Uh, I, again, the trailer took me on a roller coaster because what I was getting out of it early on was it had the tone and the feeling of of judgment day the darkness and i was like oh like this looks this looks serious it looks like they're taking the story serious which is what they did in the first two movies the movies were serious movies well serious doesn't always make sense because terminator 3 was serious okay but why did it feel like a joke (laughs) you know why you know why i think it's i think it's somewhere around the point of putting the coffin on his shoulder and shooting a gun you're like oh this is a cartoon like it's not I'm just going to say uh, it's probably because James Cameron's back involved. Maybe. Well, okay, but here's the problem, though. It started off feeling that way, and then it gets a little lame here and there between 
between some of it. The, uh, let me just put it, I'll be back is, uh, is going to be said in the movie. And it's, when it was said the first time, it was dark and scary. And when it said the second time, it was a little bit more uplifting. <laughs> but it was still in this like pretty dire situation. When it was said in this trailer, it was a joke. And it was, and that's, I don't want, I don't think I want jokes in the movie. I think that's what the problem is. I mean, you can have a joke to lighten the mood occasionally. That clen- that palate cleanser we talk about occasionally. Yeah. But I think centering around that iconic line maybe isn't the right way to do it. Or doing it in the middle of an intense action sequence that is supposed to have a lot higher stakes. Uh, I, I, I'm 50-50 on that. It, it, it couldn't go either way. It's, it's all about how it's executed. But it would be like if they made like no, I'm your father, like a recurring joke in Star Wars or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, like you can't take one of like the single most iconic lines from the franchise. <laughs> They're all trapped somewhere, invaders in the building, and someone looks at Luke and goes, who's your daddy? Like, they can't do that. <laughs> no, you know, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it, you can do the thing of the, we're having a wink, wink, nod, nod, laugh for just a second, just to, reset the tension a little bit or whatever but it can't be making a mockery of what made the movie famous you know what i mean right right i and this this um, unless you're doing like a 21 jump street type of send up of the material in the trailer terminator is not going to work with that no it's poorly in the trailer it's poorly timed and poorly executed and i'm hoping that maybe i'll get a little bit something better out of it when it's in context as we've discussed trailers are an art form and too many people get it wrong um, sure. And there's different ways to get it right, and there's different ways to get it wrong, and there's different ways to do it as art. Because some of the artful trailers are hiding a terrible movie, and some of them are hiding from you what will be so awesome about a movie. Right. Um, for and sure. bad trailers, whether the movie is good or bad, are ones that give you too much information or strike the wrong tone. Right. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like that's what they're doing here is they're striking the wrong tone, and also possibly yeah. giving you too much. Maybe. Uh, and I, again, I I can also appreciate that I'm. I know what a trailer is, and I know that I'm I'm seeing the scenes out of context, and it could be like what you're saying. It could just be a shitty trailer. Like I, you know, I kind of just miss the days of in a world. Like I just want that back because well, well, that like, was. I mean, like like people said, like the Phantom Menace is one of the all time trailers. Yeah, it is in the pantheon of greatest trailers of all time, and it's hiding a bad movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, um, we'll see when this comes out. I guess the things that were that bothered me a little bit were well the most were the fact that there it, it felt jokey that was one of the lines that did it a couple of things here and there also felt a little bit jokey in there and i what i want out of the movie is if you're gonna do this if you're going to be like no this is this comes after two this is the third entry you do need to follow the tone of those previous movies yeah you need to make it feel like it's part of that original series and I'm not fully get. I'm getting that in some situations from the trailer, but I'm not getting it the whole way through. And the problem is, if you're gonna do it, you have to do it a hundred percent. Like you have to, you yeah. have to go all in on that for it to work. And I don't know that they are. Uh, one of the things that I do find interesting about it is we have this new character who is enhanced, a an enhanced human. Enhance. Enhance. Uh, which is cool in that it can also mess with your, like, how do you, okay, so, like, 
if you're a human that's enhanced to be a to be like a machine or you're a machine enhanced to be like a human does that blur the line where does the line get drawn what it's it's interesting we'll get into some of that with the clone talk later on uh in cloud atlas but uh I'm I'm just curious how they're gonna what they're gonna go what what they're gonna do with that information. Like, is she actually going to be a human that is enhanced, or is she a cyborg that is so realistic and so self-aware that thinks she's human? I'd be concerned if it was that one because they've already done that one. Uh, so with Sam Worthington. So would I. Side. That's why I'm concerned because then you're just doing things over again, which is possible. <laughs> Although technically they did the other thing already too in Terminator Genesis. The John Connor. Yeah, that's true. I guess was human enhanced by the nanotechnology of the yeah. machines by the end of the or middle of Genesis, whatever. I think the on its own, it probably could have. It could probably be exciting and feel good, but it has to. It has to course correct for so much that it's got a lot going against it. Yeah, um, I do wonder. There, it, it is the type of franchise where. Eventually, there's a finite amount of different ideas you can really incorporate into this, like fundamentally different ideas. Um, mm-hmm. There's like variations on a theme, and that's all great. Um, but when you fucked up more than you've gotten right yeah. in the five movies that have been made, and now this is the sixth, um, and now you're wiping the slate clean, so you you can ask for a little bit of leeway, right? Like, listen, I get that they did something like this, but we're going to do it better, and maybe they will. But on the surface, you're not going to want to give them the benefit of the doubt. Even though it's James Cameron, James Cameron being involved with it, yeah, Jimmy Cams, yeah. Um, no, I turned, yes. him, I turned him into James Gum, James. <laughs> uh, so we'll see. Uh, the, I, obviously, we're we're gonna have to do an episode on that, uh, just because I'm so curious. When does that come out? Uh, don't know. I Ruff, think it's it's, it's soon. I okay. think Dark Fat's early November. Okay. Okay. Uh, I could be wrong about that. Uh, honestly, see, that's the thing. I don't like. I don't know the date right off the top of my head, which is <laughs> which is already concerning for me. <laughs> Dark Fat might be our best running joke because it was such yep. an obscure joke to begin with. And for that to have still been recurring on this show six months later is incredible. Earlier, I wrote Dark Fat <laughs> and didn't, I couldn't remember the actual, and it's, it's, it's fate. It's right there. Just pronounce it a little bit differently and you can hear the right word i had a block and i just couldn't think of the word for a second yeah, and i was like has it gone the... this far <laughs> the dark fatty <laughs> it's fate without the e that, oh that's a God. that's a bad taking back sunday joke uh, <laughs> <laughs> bad boys for life got a release date speaking of bad um first of whoa, all whoa, whoa, we, we discussed bad boys yeah speaking of bad um, sorry, you, you threw me off my momentum. Man. Sorry, um, I thought you were. Talking oh yeah, about no, I think I think we discussed this when they first announced this, when we first started talking about it on the show like a while back. I'm still so confused by Bad Boys Three being Bad Boys Four Life. Um, yeah, and I, I I refuse to engage with it in any other way. Day of the Furious, man. Yeah, I Day refuse to <laughs> engage with it in any other way other than to stylize it with a four instead of the the word four. Oh yeah, I don't care that it's the third one. It's going to be Bad Boys Bad Boys Four. And I, just to continue on with that ridiculousness, I made it life with the Y. Oh, all right. That's how, it is. That's how it is on my thing. Bad Boys, the number four, L-Y-F-E. I'm going to get down with that. Uh, here, so the movie comes out January 17th. 
that's sooner than I expected. I don't know why. I, I guess the release date we probably have known for a while, I'm guessing. I just didn't realize it. Yeah, I have no idea because I don't care. Anyway, January 17th. Here's Now, here's the thing. I love the other two Bad Boys movies. I love them. I've never I, actually seen the first one. They're so good. Uh, and, you know, I they're, they're not great movies. I just really enjoy them. <laughs> uh, I have the review already written up for this movie. Wow. Yeah, it's two words. Good enough. That's oh, what I, was, I, I was get out be, of the trailer. I thought it was going to be fuck yeah. <laughs> no, for, that's what I'm getting. Out of the trailer here, I was like, I know what this movie is. It's Bad Boys 2 again. I'm all right with it's that. It's Bad Boys 2 again. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's, it's going to be Bad Boys 1 took itself a little bit too seriously. Bad Boys 2 realized, oh, we should, we should probably be funnier. And it was. It's very silly. Uh, it's over the top and it's too silly at times, but I don't care. I still enjoy it. This one is that again. I think I've seen maybe just the very first scene of the first Bad Boys, and that's it. The and then I've definitely never seen all of Bad Boys Two, but I've seen a lot of it multiple times in different like like snippets. Their interactions with the captain are fantastic. I'm really surprised that he came back. I'm so glad he came back because they're just destroying him one day at a time. And it's amazing. And and I mean, when I say it's Bad Boys 2 again, I mean, like, there's a scene in there that's just some words rearranged, but it's a scene from the second movie. Uh, <laughs> side note, um, we didn't discuss this last week, but is, is Joe Pagliano going to come back for Matrix 4? How? I don't know. Trinity and Neo were back. That's a good point. You make good points. <laughs> <laughs> and Joe, Joe Pagliano's been a, a, a recurring um, partner for them. He was in Sensei as well with, them, mm. with the Wachowskis, so... Uh, I hope so only in that I think he's fantastic and I would like to see him in more things. <laughs> uh, you know, I had no idea he was on The Sopranos and when I went through that earlier this year, he's in it for a substantial run of the show and I was like, oh, wow. Oh. He's well, a, that, that's, that's good. He's a, he's a good actor. I mean, I really, my only like reference point for him was The Matrix and weirdly, weirdly cast has been Yurik in Daredevil movie. <laughs> what about Memento also? Yeah, but that was very recent for me. Like oh, for, that's like, true. for a that's long true. time, it was just those two things. Oh my god, the Daredevil movie! Didn't he wear like a he wore like a backwards Kengel hat? In that, he right? sure did. He okay, sure did. <laughs> just want to make sure I've got that image with, right. With with a shaved head underneath it. Yep. Right, right, naturally. But, uh, uh, no man. So that yeah, we're, we're gonna. Sorry, I, I know you're not super interested, but we're gonna be doing that one. So you're gonna. Have to no, that's fine. Uh, I mean, I have what. Four or five months, whatever. Um, it I, feels I, like a movie that Brian will join us for. I'll watch the first one sometime if you could put that on Plex. Um, okay. I will watch it eventually. Um, and I will sit down Ooh, and watch it. I'm going to add those to the collection too. also. <laughs> I don't have those. Wait, how do you not have those? You love those That's, movies. I, I, You know what's amazing to me is that I don't have them and how many times I've seen them both. That's why I'm surprised. Yeah, I'm not really sure how that works out. But... Make which that? one? Which one opens with the KKK rally? The, se- the second one. Okay, then it's entirely possible I've seen zero Maybe? seconds of the first one. Then I don't really. I, I honestly don't remember. For some reason, I thought that was the beginning of the first one. But if that's the beginning of the second, it one, might be the beginning of the first one because in the second one, I'm I'm I don't fully remember how I don't remember the whole of each of the movies. But in the second one, I I recall some crazy like colombian shooting spree while driving down a hill in an off-road vehicle but i i don't know if that's right it's been a while i'm sure it's it'll a while be ago. a it'll be a three movie review yeah 
They they don't they probably won't get their own episodes. They'll just get one big episode together. Like prelude and then main review. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, uh, that's it for my news and nuggets. So I believe, if I've counted correctly, you have a half nugget left. Oh yeah, sure. It's just a what we're watching. Uh, a little I just nug. Reaffirm because I've been talking about it. Um, and this sure. could be a very quick one, but uh, Succession has been back on HBO for a few weeks, and okay. that show is somehow like rising to greater and greater heights as it goes along. That is an yeah. incredible show. Um, I've been hearing a lot of good things about it. Yeah, I had mentioned it to you. I may have even showed you a couple of clips from the first season. Um, it is mostly a dark, dark comedy. Mm-hmm. There are certainly drama elements. Um, it's kind of the bizarro world version of Billions to me. Because okay. um, I feel a lot of the same ways in how they, like, again, it's like the... <laughs> Like, like I said earlier, like people fall for the allure of like things like Wolf of Wall Street and Fight Club or whatever, and it's like you're supposed to see these people living to excess, and same thing with billions. Um, but you're not supposed to aspire to them, right? Um, and this does a better job. Like billions, a lot of times walks the line more closely to Wolf of Wall Street, whereas Succession jumps off the deep end of where like something like Goodfellas goes. Where it's like, if you fuck it up and somehow man- manage to think that this is a good thing, you're a psycho. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it makes it very clear. These people all hate themselves. Yeah. Even while they're, like, doing, like, rails of cocaine in the nicest penthouse with, like, beautiful women around them. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, yeah. no, no, no. If things just were 1% worse in their life right now, they might jump off the roof. Um, but... It's, like, the, the cast is great. The writing is really strong. It's not nearly as cheesy as Billions is. And I, when I say Billions is cheesy, I mean it in the best possible way. Um, because it knows it's cheesy and leans into it. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a serious show. Um, it's, I guess, probably the best comparison to something that you've seen is, in a lot of ways, it reminds me of The Death of Stalin. Mm-hmm. That's um, right. I think you've mentioned that. Like, where that it's comparison. Like, where it's, like, pitch black comedy um and it probably walks back a little bit from how dark that is because there's a lot less murder in this um which is to say that i technically none at all um though i wouldn't be surprised if eventually it goes to that point um right but uh yeah no it's um it's dark but also hysterical um and very 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 well acted and well written yeah we'll have to i'll have to check it out uh there's that's a continuation of what you're watching. I, I think I have mentioned before that I I'm finally watching The Office. I'm yeah. I've got two seasons left, or season and three quarters left. Oh wow, you really uh, went to work on that. It's uh, yeah. It's uh, it's there's a there's a lot. It's wait, you chose that I, over Scrubs. Uh, we were watching it around the same time. I think we had started The Office before, and we kept going back and forth. Um. Scrubs is I, I I'll I'll be enjoying Scrubs more. So the thing I so far here's my uh, on the office. I do think it's worth the watch. I do think it's very funny and uh, there are definitely some jokes that I get now having watched it and like things that have happened and things that people said. Um, I think it's really silly and really funny. I do not think it's the cultural phenomenon people would have you believe it is. But that's just me. I mean, that's been my experience with it. And 
That is very possible. That is, I was not a part of it at the time where it was. No, because people are still getting into it now. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's good. It's good. I I think Parks and Rec is better. I've uh, never so said far. it's not good. It just I just can't yeah. connect to it for whatever reason. No, I mean, uh, there's been sequences where I have laughed my ass off, and I've seen it a whole bunch of entire episodes. I've seen a whole bunch of other clips outside of those episodes. Yep. I'm familiar enough with the characters and what the whole show is about. Um, so this isn't just like me being a hater and I don't yeah. hate the show. I just don't get why it's so unanimously beloved. I think that's, that's the thing. It's, it's almost like, it's like, I'm, I'm very surprised it went on for as long as it did, but it's just because people really, really, really loved it. And maybe they have some, some connection to it or they love something about it that I'm just, I don't connect with. It's very possible. Like I said, I think it's very funny. I'm not mad that I've, I've spent the time on it. I've actually been really enjoying it. I just think about the conversations that people have had about the show, and I don't think that I hold it to the same level of prestige that they do. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is even the staunchest adherents of the show, like, freely admit the last several seasons aren't very good. Which is, yeah, I don't know. I'd be curious to assess it when I'm done, because uh, there's definitely been a, there's a time in the middle where I don't think the show's, I think it's, it's boring. We actually, we paused for a while just because we were just like, weren't excited to watch it and when you're when you're watching something that you don't have to wait for you have to be excited to watch it to get through oh yeah i mean that is the whole point of a binge right yeah exactly you want you want to continue cramming that content into your face right uh Um, it's 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 funny Uh, but anyway that's so that's what i uh, will we're trying to finish that up uh i did finish this is not this is books al this is reading do you finally finish harry potter I finished. No, I finished the Half Blood Prince, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm on to the Deathly Hollows. What was the last time we mentioned that? Six months ago. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it's, I mean, uh, listen. I, I'm not going to get on you for not finishing long form content like in a timely fashion because both of sure. us consume so much different content. Absolutely. And between TV and movies and reading and whatever else we're doing, I mean, I, I watch a ton of sports. You know what I mean? Like. Yep. I know you don't watch a ton of sports. Um, it's just a lot to consume. Oh, yeah. so there's, I won't get on... I may get on you for certain specific things, especially things that are relatively short. Like, I'm not going to get on you for not having finished Scrubs. There's fucking eight seasons of the show. I'm not going to yes. get on you for not finishing The Office. There's 13 seasons of it. Um, those books are all very long. I, I will say that it was probably a little too long to take to read that book, but I get it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, that's just the amount of time that I, I read in general. I will, I, I will get on you for not having seen Cloud Atlas. It's a three-hour movie, and we talked about doing this a year ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. Uh, the, uh... Will we? The book... <laughs> I, it's good. I will fight but, you to the death. It's my but that's about it. And it's my favorite book of the series. I, no, I know. It's a lot of people, from what I understand. I... The the main beats and the actual core story, fantastic. The book, not not super thrilled with the the length of time it gets to things that it takes to get through things and the amount of time we spend in unnecessary spaces. Despite and that, how despite how long the book is, I didn't feel like it suffered some of the bloat that some of the other books did. Oh my god, five is seven. horrible. <laughs> <laughs> no, see, I love five too, but that one does suffer from some bloat, especially oh, in God. The, in the in the middle act. Um, and seven is, I guess, probably best represented as like a five act story. And there's entire sections of like two and three 
that are interminable. But like sections like one, four, and five are great. Um, okay. I'm a few chapters in right now, and so far very much enjoying it. But we'll see where it goes. I I intend to do something. Everything on f- the books combined with the movies in an article form on the Spinchoon when I'm done with all of this. But everything it'll be time through everything through them going to read the ministry is great. And then everything from there until when they try to read Gringotts is pretty interminable. Mm-hmm. Well, with, with like, with like, to have that context going in. I with, guess. The, with the occasional like flash of interesting, like sure, them going to see Xenophilius love good, and them going to, um, what was the other one? Um, that, oh, them going to meet Bethilda Badgshot. Like those sections are interesting, but those are oasises amidst the desert. Sure, um, sure. But I didn't feel that sex suffered from that bloat in any way, shape, or form. Hmm. Um, I mean, I'm, listen, were there, was there an entire chapter that maybe could have been trimmed down a little bit? Sure. But we're talking about like 10 pages in a 680 page novel. Like that's not really egregious. Sure. The, there's a lot of redundancy in what's uh, just emotional redundancy that we keep recounting. And I understand you're trying to get the point across to some degree. Uh, it's just, some of that is very boring. Uh, occasionally, but also remember that these are 16 year olds. Um, yeah. Um, was was there anything but, uh, specific that you had an issue with that you would have excised or whatever? Because being I just that I am like we- borderline a Potter scholar, I could maybe recontextualize for you okay. why they were essential, even if they weren't the best. The the Ron and Lavender Hermione love triangle. Okay. Uh, it's the same thing over and over again. They they could have tightened that. It needs to be. It needs to be tightened. Uh, it's too, it's, it's almost as if they copy and pasted, like, paragraphs. They could have tightened it, but the thing is, they don't devote, like, chapters to it. Like, it's just kind of consistently on in the background. It's more like a bee buzzing in your ear. So it wasn't offensive to me. Yeah, a really annoying one. Sure, um, it wasn't offensive to me because it's not like they, like, dropped everything to focus on it ever, you know what I mean? Up until, like, Mm -hmm. the climax of it when he gets poisoned. The... Uh, what about, okay, so Harry's obsession with Malfoy. That is something that they probably, again, they could have trimmed that even more substantially, because that is actually one of the main focuses. Um, So yeah, they could have found a way to be a little bit more succinct with all of that. But it was meant to be a slow burn conflict throughout the course of the year. And because of how important what it is that, like, Harry's right, but for the wrong reasons, you know what I mean? Sure. Um, with that whole thing. So, yeah, they probably could have found a slightly more elegant way to do it, but I don't mind it being a through line to the story because um, it was meant to be an unfolding situation. But yes, you're right. That is something that they could have done more elegantly. Those two particular things? Uh, oh, okay. So the other thing, I'm not, I'm not super mad about it, but the reoccurring... It, it's like watching... So, Going into Dumbledore's office, dumping a memory in the pensieve, and then going into the memory, that, after the first time, it's, like, just get me into the memory. Okay. I was going to say, because, like, those are pretty essential bits oh, no, no, no. of world the, building. The memories, the memories and were are compelling. fantastic. And I actually think are the best, are probably the best parts of the book. Uh, it's just the, 
it's the repetitive lead up to getting into the office and getting the memory dumped in and then diving into it that is just like you the book could have been cut down and i've been feeling this way for the past few and i just don't understand why they were so long and yeah. i'm not i'm not i'm not upset with a book being long i'm okay with the book being long like long is fine it just got to have like the substance needs to be there though i don't i'm not I don't want to. I'm not wasting my time reading a book, and I felt my time was being wasted at certain points of the book. I can understand, and I can agree with you on, on some of that. Just how they framed getting to the memory part, because it, it, yeah. at certain points it felt like the way you know, like when you're like what, like playing a video game, like it's like a story-driven video game where it's like they're giving you a story. And I understand why they do it because like it could have been a month since you've seen the last bit of that story arc. Sure. Um, so they kind of rehash the whole thing each time. And because they do the memory thing like six times, mm-hmm. um, they rehash it every time. But after a certain point, you probably don't need to give us a recap of everything we've seen. Right. Um, I can understand why they did because it was so important. But yes, that is clumsy, like Basil Exposition stuff. Yes. Yeah. And I will, I will yield a little bit just because I know that I'm reading the books one after another. And they came out, there was plenty of time between them. When they actually were released, and like you, insert there are certain things that you would need, you would need to get that foundation again, right? You would need to be, but we're talking about within the same book, they're reiterating and like getting you into the space, and it's just like, dude, move it along. Like the, it's, the one thing I will say is for for context in the larger bit of the story, at that point, you don't know that Dumbledore is gonna die, and what level of like self-motivation that is going to be required of Harry to do something that really is beyond his abilities and knowledge, right? Um, yeah. So, but in those moments, Dumbledore does know that he's going to die. Uh-huh. So, it makes sense from a narrative standpoint to have him reiterate it to the point of irritation because he knows that he's never going to have another opportunity. Like, it isn't sure. a situation where his death wasn't sudden to him. It was yeah, but to even the it's not. That's his, a rare case. His reiteration. Nothing that he does bothers me. It's it's really it's it's the setup. It is the it is the non like the non spoken words in the book. There's just too much fluff that is repetitive. Like I've already you've already described this thing exactly as it is to me. I you one the first time you did it was probably too much because I do like to let my imagination work a little bit. Uh, I get a lot of that taken away from me with the way certain things are, and I realize that I I am also not a book person, mm-hmm. and that is probably something that book people like more than I do. Uh, I when I have a little bit of it, like uh, let's for example, I'm in the seventh book. They describe the room that they're uh, that. Uh, all the Death Eaters are in with Voldemort. Uh, after hinting that they were in a room together, my mind put the room together. I had an idea of what it was. Then they start describing it. I'm like, yeah, it's close enough to what I've got up here already. Like, it, and what you're giving me doesn't change. Like, does not yield anything to the story. And I think some of that slows the story down for me to a point of me almost getting bored at points. See, that is uh, very book specific stuff, and yeah. not just. Harry Potter book like that's no, that's go, just yeah. going back and, and I'm not a reader of the quote unquote classics but I mean like um like that's a very Tolkien esque thing yeah you know what I mean and that drives me crazy too like well, it's, it's part I, of what makes those some of the greatest books ever the, the world building is specific to the point of insanity mm-hmm. <laughs> at times yeah uh, it's strange well anyway when I when I finish this all up then I'm gonna go through all the movies again uh, and then I'm gonna have some serious opinions on it okay. Uh, uh, we'll we'll get to that. 
Um, do you have any other news and nuggets? You have a- no. All right, cool. So with before we get into the movie, we are going to do a movie-related quiz. Uh, this is which Cloud Atlas character are you? Oh, okay. Well, at least it's right. the end. Which, yeah. So uh, different from last week, this is how I've suggested to Al that we do this. I'm going to read the question and answers rather quickly. I've encouraged Al, if he hears an answer that he loves before I get to the next one, shout it out. We'll go with it and we'll move on. Uh, just I think keep... it'll, it'll also help that you're already familiar with the content this time. Uh, yeah, I'm a little familiar with it. Uh, uh, apologies in advance while I'm reading it if I slip up a few times, because as I mentioned to Al, and I think I mentioned on here already, um, some of the questions and answers are not spelled correctly. Uh, so it's, it's sometimes difficult to read. But anyway, moving on. <laughs> and I'm terrible at spelling, and I'm calling it out. So, there's 16 questions. Okay. Are you ready? Let's do it. What animal are you? Labrador, a small fluffy baby bird, cat, Disney turtle, don't know what that is, dolphin, or Shetland pony? Dolphin. Dolphin. All right. What's your favorite drink? Tea, sherry, vodka, the same I've always had, coffee, or red wine? Coffee. How would you describe your style? Good looking but effortless, the same knitted sweater I wear every day, actual proper clothing, matching clothes with all my friends, clothes that actually belong to someone else, very fashionable. Apparently they don't have shirtless as an option. I would have already selected that. <laughs> um, you don't have to give me that list again because that was more confusing than the other sure. ones. Sure. Good looking but effortless. The same knitted sweater I wear every day. Actual proper clothing. Matching clothes with all my friends. Clothing that actually belongs to someone else. Very fashionable. I could say actual proper clothing. All right. Where would you go on a holiday? Picturesque country estate. Cruising the Caribbean. Urban holiday. Something cultural but not mainstream. To Mars, I am fine where I am. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> um, that one's compelling, but I'm going to go Caribbean cruise. All right, okay. You find a hat in the street. What do you do? Take it. It's my new favorite hat. Avoid it without really understanding why. Lift it to see if there's something underneath. Bring it home, but you're a bit scared it might be cursed. Walk away, <laughs> bitter, about how people keep throwing hats these days. <laughs> try, <laughs> try to find the rightful owner. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to say avoid it, but I'm not sure why. Okay. How straight are you on a scale of 1 to 10? <laughs> one? <laughs> wait, wait, it's a scale of 1 to 10, but there's not 10 options, so please bear with me. 1, very straight. 3, basically straight. 5, what is sexuality? 7, open to new experiences. 9, all question marks. 10, not straight at all. Sorry, I just wanted to hear the whole thing, and I'm glad I got to hear the question marks, but I'm going to go with 1. Okay, got it. If you were the if you were a Smith song, which song would you be? Shoplifters, shoplifters of the world unite. Still Isle, the or still ill. I don't know. It's uh, the I, the apostrophe's in there. The charming man. There's a light that never goes out. Big mouth strikes again. Panic. I was going to choose big mouth strikes again on account of earlier this week. Your brother mentioned that when you are downstairs and he is upstairs, he hears you laughing at the TV. Oh. <laughs> Um, I've never, I don't know any of the Smiths songs, um, so I'm gonna go with Panic. Panic. Okay. Just What's your favorite food? I like the sound of that. Oh, go. What I've always had. Cheese. <laughs> something fancy. Organic Husband's Ghost? What? Husband's Ghost? I don't know what that is. English breakfast? Takeaway. Cheese. Cheese. <laughs> <laughs> which, which years and years song do you like best? Order, worship, 1977, desire, traps, king. I'm so confused by that question and set of answers. 
So am I. Just pick one of the answers. Border, border, worship, 1977, desire, traps, king. 1977. That's what I picked also. Which is, which is, this is one of the ones that's uh, interesting. Which is favorite book genre? Oh, is that written <laughs> by Charlie Day? <laughs> Crime, I don't care much for books, biographies, musical theory, all kinds of books, the Holy Bible. Well, I think I know which one you chose. Uh, and it's, I don't like books. Uh, no, I'm going to go no, with I do. Okay. I actually, I do like books. I just, uh. You were just trashing yeah, books. I've, like I've got issues. What's your favorite color? Green or beige is one. Green. Of the answers. Okay. Is one of the options. Green or beige. Okay. Is one of the multiple choice options. Followed by red, black, turquoise, brown, and blue. <laughs> Let's go with turquoise. All right. How long does your morning routine take? What morning routine? Uh, 10 minutes maybe? 14 minutes and 26 seconds, about half an hour. Hair, 5 minutes, clothes, about an hour. Or 2 hours at least. Uh, the first one. What morning routine? Perfect. What do you order at a cafe? Bubble tea? Espresso? Can I just have ordinary coffee, please? Green tea, iced tea, or a frappuccino? Can I just have ordinary coffee, please? Where do you have a comet birthmark? On my chest, on my lower <laughs> back, <laughs> on my collarbone, on my leg, on my neck, on the back of my head. On my collarbone. What do you like the most about your significant other? What significant other? At the end of a tough journey, they are it's always what there. what significant other? <laughs> Which is your favorite Adele song? And I, I implore you to listen to all of the options here. Which is your favorite Adele song? Skyfall, Hello, Rolling in the Deep, Someone Like You, Set Fire to the Rain. No. <laughs> Set Fire to the Rain. Okay. All right, here we go. You are Louisa Ray. Really? You're not afraid to voice your opinion. Is it just because I guess 1977? <laughs> Maybe. And you fight tirelessly for the right cause. You are brave and independent, though you care a lot about the people in your life. You are not, the afraid, you are not afraid to break society's norms. That's you. Louisa well, Ray. I, 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 from Pro I record ex- quiz maker. I record <laughs> exclusively shirtless, so obviously I'm not afraid to break society's norms. True. True. With that being said, let us finally dive into... Our flick of the week. Cloud Atlas. An exploration of how the actions of individual lives impact one another in the past, present, and future as one soul is shaped from a killer into a hero. And an act of kindness ripples across centuries to inspire a revolution. That's the synopsis from IMDb. Uh, good synopsis. It's so much more it's than a that. Good, it's a good synopsis in that it's accurate. It's a good verb, like, at face value. But also, so fundamentally shallow as to miss the point entirely, almost. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so here's the deal. Here's, here's how this went down, Al. I was, I wrote, a, I wrote this whole thing. I wrote myself a little script of how I was going to convince you that I thought the movie was a little too far up its own ass. I wrote a whole script to do this and then not deliver it to you, and then and then take it back out a la uh phantom thread oh okay uh and i just couldn't do it i was reading it and as i was reading it i was getting angry because i'm sure there was someone that actually felt that way and i was just like no <laughs> <laughs> like it's okay the movie's really it's really something special let me just stop you there yeah because let me just read you my first note yeah is, is this a perfect movie no. Okay. Then tell me in what way this movie isn't perfect. Uh, what, give me a flaw of this movie. 
Sure. Uh, the flaw of the movie is not within the storytelling or the core mechanics of the movie at all, really. It's in the post-apocalyptic world. The dialogue is just far too jumbled to understand. Um, it isn't upon repeat viewing, but also even further, um, despite how infuriating it was, when I read the book, I then retroactively totally understood everything that they said in the movie. Um, That's which I didn't think was going to be the case. Fine. The first, I, I watched it, I was like, man, I maybe understood 60% of this, and now like, I know everything that they said in the movie and what it all meant. Um, and yeah, it is frustrating, but it's actually very faithful to the book in a way that a lot of the other bits of the movie aren't, actually. Oh, interesting. Um, and that's actually something I want to talk about. Actually, that is really the only flaw of this movie that, that I can find, um, is that it's somewhat unfaithful. It's a somewhat unfaithful representation of the book from a narrative perspective. Mm. The spirit is very true to what was going on in the book. Um, but there are a lot of editing that there's a lot of editing that was done to the content of the movie some of it was just updating it and making it some more sense to what like a more contemporary although the book's not very old it's only like sure 15 years old or something like that or 10 years old um but um really that's the only flaw to this movie that i can find some people might say it's too long but i would say it's so perfectly paced in a way that movies so rarely are that you really don't feel its length as being substantially longer than your quote-unquote average long movie of two-plus hours, even though it's a hair over three hours, I think. You might think it's too long, but I would encourage you to listen to this quote by Timothy Cavendish. <laughs> While my extensive experience as an editor has led me to disdain for flashbacks and flash-forwards and all such tricksy gimmicks, I believe that if you, dear reader, can extend your patience for just a moment you will find that there is method to this tale of madness. Now, that was meta as fuck. <laughs> um, yeah, no, and, and it's a, it was a good line, too, in his little narration of his... So uh, good. ...of his plight, um, or sorry, his ghastly ordeal, I guess. Um, no, really, truly, um, if you're only... Listen, what you're saying you find to be a flaw, the whole uh, being incomprehensible, imagined future-esque dialect, fine. Um, Ooh, but hang on, hang on, hang on. Uh... I'm not explaining that well enough. I don't think that the... I actually like what's happening there. I like the broken dialogue. Uh, the dialect, I should say. Uh, there's an interesting thing where, at certain points, the characters are just speaking perfectly clear. Uh, which, it's almost as if they're speaking a different language. I don't fully understand that, and I was going to ask you about that. Uh, my problem with the weird dialect is not that I couldn't follow what they were saying. is that the recording of the vocals is muddy and the sound editing is muddy to the point where I can't actually discern some of the words. I understand that they're not in the right order and that they're not properly like the, the way that they speak is like, it's almost broken. Like they took words out of a sentence, but the sound is too muddy to actually understand the words that are being spoken. And that's what bothered me. It's a sound editing issue. In There's an opinion. occasional line where that may be true. Yes. But that is such a tiny flaw as to be rendered it's not a tiny flaw when that's an entire portion of the film yeah but i don't find that it to be the case across the entirety of those sequences there's 
the odd occasional line where I would say that's probably true. That is um, that is the that is the case across the entire thing, except for the situations when they are not speaking in that strange dialect, and that's what I want to know. They're I always know, they're always no, speaking. In the, they, the only I, time I, there isn't is when Marinim is talking to the ship, um, and she's speaking normal English. There are times where Tom Hanks' character just speaks normally. No. There, I, I, <laughs> I watch. I, you have to watch it and focus on that. Meaning normal thing. English or his just, delivery just, is normal. Both. He's speaking perfectly fine in certain scenes when the dialogue is most pertinent. I disagree. I've seen the movie. Like, I'm gonna have to. I will. I will times. find clips for it and send them to you of when it. Okay. And it's it's actually jarring how abrupt the change is. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I. You'd have to send me something specific. Will, okay. Like, is there I'll, is there a I spare will, sentence where that's the case? Sure, but really, that's not the case. I will watch. The, I will. I will cut out the sequences when it happens, uh, just to send them to you because it's it's very strange, and I don't. And I almost think that they did it because the times when that happens, it's very important to the plot what's going on. Uh, so they wanted to make sure you don't miss it. That's what it felt like. Hmm. But there's a um, lot of other important things. No, no, there, there totally is, and uh, in. Your brain catches up after a while, and even if you didn't hear it at first, it'll, you'll piece together things that are being said. That is, like I said, that's my flaw with the movie. It's, uh, and I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be able to change my my stance on that because it was, it was actually very frustrating to get through certain scenes because I couldn't understand what they were like. Not for lack of trying, it was just too muddy. I had seen the movie, and then I read the book, and then I watched it again. And I yeah. had zero issues watching that those sequences the second time around because mm. I knew what they were saying. Sure. Um, because some of a lot of the big lines in that sequence and, and the whole movie really are pulled straight from the page. Right. Um, although I, it took me reading the book to actually figure out what Halle Berry's character's name was in that. In oh the, really? In the future, because I was like, I remember like after having watched or when I started reading it and like, someone's like this, I was like. Oh my god, is that her name? I could I honestly thought they never said her name in the whole fucking movie. And they only say it like twice. <laughs> um and one time it right. is actually kind of mumbled under someone's breath. Mm. I, I will say, uh I mean not to jump too far ahead here, um, but the the whole the the prophecy sequence and then flashing back to the lines of the prophecy through scenes is really well done like it's <laughs> it's so good <laughs> yeah well, especially because like, when you hear the prophecy you're like what the fuck did she just say yeah and then you're just like okay crazy <laughs> <laughs> take your book with crayon writing and put that away <laughs> also like i didn't even pick up on it the first time i saw it and then i watched it because oh, you know what i watched it on like a normal like 720p like tv Mm-hmm. And then I watched it the second time in my basement on the projector. And I was like, oh my god, her iris changed colors. Like, oh yeah, it's creepy. It's creepy. It's pretty cool though. Uh, I don't want to worry too much about spoilers since the movie came out in what, 2012? Yeah. Um, so is there anything you want to say specifically before we get before we like not worry about it? Guys, just sit down, block out three hours, turn your phone off, watch this movie. That is key. This is a, a, you need to actively participate in the movie. Yes. Uh, specifically, I mean, this, the stuff in the, those futuristic, like, you need to actively participate and pay attention to what's going on. And mm-hmm. you're not necessarily going to get all of it. And the thing is, you're not really supposed to. Although, if you really, really focus on it, you may have to pl- even play it back once or twice. You'll figure out what it is they're saying. Everything that they're saying more or less makes sense. Um, but, yeah, no, I mean, just, it's a movie that's meant to be experienced. 
yeah. not just watched. And they do that with an incredible music mechanic that just works so well. And well, that's why like that's why I said experience because this movie more than even any of their other work, even more than any of Edgar Wright's work, uh, and I'm sure there's other people who someone maybe like screaming at their their phone or whatever they're listening to this on right now would be saying you're not miss- you're missing this person whatever uh the synergy between the movie and the music in this is so inextricable to what's going on if mm-hmm. you took this music out and put just some generic background behind it it would be a fine movie um it is such an inextricable part of what's going on well i think it's interesting because like music is one of those things that has already proven to kind of transcend time and space like there are like you can find so much power in something from that was composed so long ago right and you could feel that when you listen to it and i feel like they used that they 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 created this incredible score to to keep that feeling alive as the movie's going and like as you're moving from one life to the next and it's just it's so well done uh and it's, it's it's so key to one of my very favorite sequences in the entire movie probably my favorite one it's one during one of the letters being written from uh, Robert Frobisher to Rufus Sixsmith, and he's describing kind of what you were just describing in how music transcends everything and mm. can rope together, like you said, an old song can still be timeless now and all that sort of stuff. And he's talking about all of that, and they're cycling through only, I think, three of the six stories, and it's a dreamlike sequence between Frobisher and Sixsmith. Uh, it's the scene where, and this is some light spoilers, where... Um, Hang on one second. It's not important. We're going into spoiler territory. It's, okay. Like, the movie's older. Uh, if you're if you're interested in this episode, then you've probably seen the movie. So let's... If you haven't, stop what you're doing and go watch it. And let's Al continue. Um, so it, it, they're wrapping together. It's a dreamlike sequence, which we find out is a dream sequence. Uh, it's Sixsmith dreaming after having read the letter, right? Um, where they show the whole thing where they're literally being bulls in a china shop, mm-hmm. which I think visually is really cool. Oh my god, that, that be, is an incredibly shot scene. For that to be the anchor of this whole sequence is incredible, um, where the whole thing goes up in the air and shatters all at once and he wakes up. Um, and that was all quote-unquote silent with all the music going behind. And it's the it's not the Cloud Atlas X set itself, it's, like, it's the March music for the movie. Um, and in, incorporated in all of that is also Adam Ewing on the ship, um, and it's also um, Sonmi451 when she and, and Heiju Chang finally um, have sex together. And it's the three of those things are, are kind of cycling back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't have the other stories in it at all, I don't think. Um, and then there's the big shatter of the thing. And it, the music trails off as Sixsmith is waking up and kind of realizing that he wishes that what he was dreaming was real. Right. And then it immediately is a thunder crack and it goes back to a really important scene in the whole thing where they go back to the ship and it's Adam Ewing uh, about to have his fatal encounter with uh, Dr. Henry Goose and Otua. Oh, man. <laughs> just recapping pieces of it is just... Uh, do you have, of the six storylines, do you have a favorite? Um, that's tough because I favor certain ones for certain things. Yeah, uh, I was feeling the same way when I, I tried to come up with an answer myself for the question and didn't really I, I would have s- one. I would say kind of my favorite in the 
perspective of from starting point to end point, it was one of the few happy endings. Um, my favorite one might be the ghastly ordeal of Timothy Cavendish. Mm. Um, it's also consistently the most comedic of them. Oh yeah, it's so, so funny. It's, <laughs> even though it, it gets very dark, there is so many lighthearted moments, so many laugh out loud funny moments, and it also this movie really. I it's not the first time I'd seen Jim Broadbent in anything, but it's the first time I saw him so heavily featured in something. He is incredible. Oh my god, he, he is. is such a good actor, and it made me retroactively appreciate even more his admittedly much lighter performance in. Um, it's funny enough, you were just talking about finishing the Half-Blood Prince, but him in the movie version of the Half-Blood Prince, um, it made me appreciate him so much more in that role. Um, he's a really good actor. He um, is fantastic. And I don't know, he's probably in a lot of things that I didn't see um, when he was a much younger man, because he's quite old now. Um, although I, I do vaguely recall him being in The Gangs of New York, but I didn't know who he was back then. Um, I, do, I, I, I haven't love... seen that movie all the way through since like the year 2000 when it came out or whatever, which is yeah. problematic. Definitely worth us doing. Uh, he's in that in that that storyline. It's so funny. Like he's, I love that because like you, as it goes on, you start to piece together what's happening. You start to get the singular narrative. You also start to get like the the reincarnation of characters. Uh, but the fact that he doesn't like why are these things like yeah he hasn't made some great decisions in this life. But, but he's not the these... worst guy. Right, like, <laughs> why, why are these horrible things happening to me? And he, yeah. he never really asks the question, it doesn't seem. like. Well, I think because he does realize to a certain extent that, that he he's does not great. deserve to pay some penance for the transgressions against his brother, mm-hmm. even though he realizes that he's paying and an interest, and more interest probably than he deserves. Right. Oh, man, it's so, it's so funny. It, I, that really is, it's a super entertaining segment. Like, There's well, also, I think, a, a sense of, of surrealism where I think he's kind of still waiting to wake up at some point. Like, yeah. how is this happening to me? Like, like, how is this even a thing that could happen to anyone, let alone me? But, like, everything about it is so, it's so absurd from, like, when he's just like, this is preposterous and he's like, he's just leaving, which I think is great, right? Well, the, whole, the like, whole first sequence, I think, kicks it off to everything oh you my can God. expect. With Tom Hanks throwing a critic off the balcony... And murdering him because he reviewed his book poorly. Tequila. Couple of fingers. <laughs> Couple of fingers. I love he does the thing. <laughs> Everything about it, it sets the tone for some of the really like clever writing in the whole thing. Uh, specifically, like dialogue from mm. a dialogue perspective. You know, what is a critic but someone who reads quickly, arrogantly, but never wisely? Right, and he's so I think proud is... of himself for that line. It's also... It's so funny to say that in the movie because they they knew as they were making it that it wasn't going to be super well received by everybody. Yeah. Because uh, people that, were going to... That is a line straight from the book too, though. Yeah. And the book... I know, but it's, it's heavy. It's like, it's very front and center in the well, movie. Well, this, this book was critic... Or this book and movie were both critically received well. And the movie even more so than the book, actually. But it didn't succeed commercially. Mm-hmm. Um, but the only reason I actually ever gave this a, a fair shake sometime after I had initially been uh, interested in it when it was coming out, and I didn't know it was based on a book at the time, was because of a reviewer who I like was basically did the thing we did. It was like, whatever you're doing, stop what you're doing now, watch this movie, and then come back and let's talk about it. Like, right. And I was like, and then I, I just kept watching because it was spoiler free. Um, so I just kept watching it and I was like, okay, this is intriguing in a way. Like the, just like the almost giddiness with which he's talking about this movie um, makes me excited for it in a way that I didn't think I could be where I was just like kind of like intrigue. And now it's like, okay, like I really want to see this. And it's like, I'm so glad that I took the chance on it that I did because um, 
it's become such an important movie in my own movie watching life. I love yeah. this movie so much. We're gonna have a section later where we just talk about quotes oh, yeah. and and great lines in the movie because like me and my brother and my sister drop these lines all the time in like our everyday life, even <laughs> though some of them don't even apply very well. Although a lot of them do, um, but yeah, that whole sequence or that or that whole um, vignette in the in the in the movie is probably my favorite one just because it's the most lighthearted of them. Though it has its darkness and all of them do. Um, it is the one that ends happiest, I think. Um, everyone kind of gets what they deserve um, for good and bad. Um, yeah. Where I don't necessarily think that's the case in all the other ones. Not that that's a bad thing. It's just if you're going to make me pick my favorite one. And there's aspects of some of the other ones that I love, even though they sure. do end much more darkly uh, for some or all of the characters. Yeah, that's that's true. I, I, have a, I, I do love that line, that storyline. Uh, I'm, I'm drawn to the to the the romance storyline uh uh, uh for, what's the name uh oh robert frobisher and yeah frobisher that uh that that line i just think there's just something it's so uh it, it's like hauntingly beautiful like yeah. that whole that whole thing it's funny because i've always felt after having fully embraced this movie that each of these six stories were interesting enough that you could have made a full movie about yeah. each of them. Not, not a three-hour movie about each of them, maybe, but you could have made a standalone movie about each of them and they would have been compelling in their own way. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the one that I would have been least likely to just sit down and watch if it was its own movie. But mm. this movie couldn't have existed without it. And I don't regret in any way, shape, or form watching those parts of it. Sure. No, that's so uh, how do you want to go about this? Because there's so much to go through. Should we try to focus on each storyline one piece at a time? And like, if uh, I think we pop can up. jump. I think we can jump back and forth between those things because I want to actually tackle next um, talking about the narr- the structure of this movie because it's so unique, uh-huh. um, just like big picture, um, and also to talk about for anyone who has seen the movie or is listening and who would like to go see the movie to understand the difference between the book and the movie and why it makes sense in each format, because the book is more longer form, right? It's a almost seven hundred page novel, I think, or something like that. Um, the structure of the movie, they jump, they start with, the, it's so weird that they do the prologue thing, right? Where they basically give you something very spoiler heavy, a little bit of narration for each one from the perspective of the character who is the main character of each one. Then they give you a title card and then they jump back to chronologically what is the first um, story in the line. So these take place in the 1850s, the 1930s, the 1970s present day more or less uh, about 150 years from now and then quite some time after that in a post-apocalyptic future um and they introduce them to you in that order in the movie Mm -hmm. and in the book it's delivered in the same way although it sticks to that bit they don't jump back and forth between the storylines and i think that works in the book but it would not work in the movie it'd be a little bit it'd be too jarring and it it would for a movie this long for a movie this long it wouldn't work and also there's real there's real reasons why because they pair off sequences, or not more than pair, they triplicate, you know, quadruplicate, like, sections of the movie, not just narratively, but thematically, in a really cool way. Like, in the sequence I was talking about before, where, like, that one thing with the music plays in so well with the three things they're talking about, and the narration of Frobisher writing the letter to Sixsmith, um, works in such a way that it wouldn't have necessarily made as much sense in the book, because those things mm-hmm. need to be quick cut with that one narration over the top of it. Um, so the book is delivered, uh, the best way to describe it is kind of like, looking at a staircase from profile like in a mirror where it's like two sides facing each other. Um, and the book starts with the 
reading of Adam Ewing's Pacific Journal, and it's mm-hmm. like you're you are actually reading it the way that Adam Fro- or that Robert Frobisher is reading the journal, where it's right. each it's a bunch of like snapshots of different days in his journey on the Pacific Ocean, where he's writing it in journal form for himself, right? Like because he's got little sidebars of notes and stuff like that, mm-hmm. um, and that cuts off at a certain point. Um, I, 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 and I forget exactly, the, and the, the specifics aren't really that important, but each one cuts at a very important thing. They have a cliffhanger ending, right? So it's Frobisher reading Adam Ewing's Pacific Journal, and then it just cuts at an important narrative spot. And then we pick up reading some of the letters that Frobisher is writing to Sixsmith. And we're from the perspective of someone reading the letters that Frobisher is writing, in which he mentions that he's reading... Adam Ewing's Pacific Journal, and that the journal cuts off halfway through, right? And he realizes that the book isn't complete, and he needs the full version of the book. He writes in the letter to Sexsmith, "Could you find me a copy of this book? I very much want to finish it." He goes, "A half-read book is like a half-read love affair." You yeah, know, that, that uh, whole line from the movie, which is also from the book. Question about that: So the there's a scene in uh in that in that romance storyline after uh like when he shoots vivian yes camera pans down the other half of the book is under yes it's it's under the bedpost it's it was used to prop up the thing yes it's it's sitting there that made me i just i don't know that i probably didn't notice it the first time we watched the movie because like now i'm like i i'm had general ideas of what was going on i honestly didn't remember a lot of the movie because it's been so long since i had seen it uh but when i saw that i just like it was like shivers i was like oh Come on, it's right well, there. <laughs> the thing is, the first time I saw it, I didn't really get it because I didn't know the name of the, oh, of the okay. book. And it's you see it along the spine yeah, in yeah. gold lettering very thinly, and it's like, oh wow, that's and that level of attention to detail is incredible. Right? Yeah. And there there's so many instances of that in this movie. Um so yeah, so it's it, he's writing the letter to Sixmith about that, and I forget where that cuts off, but that whole story is being delivered from Louisa Ray reading the letters right. that she had gotten from the old Rufus Sixsmith, um, but she runs out of letters. Mm-hmm. Um, she doesn't know where the rest of them are. And so her story is being delivered in Half-Lives, a Louisa Ray novel. The little kid Javier, who is friends with her in the movie, who jumps into her balcony all that, he grows up to become a thriller writer, and he writes yeah. about all these different <laughs> things cool. that she did. <laughs> And so she's reading the letters and they get cut off and the book cuts off as this has been submitted to Timothy Cavendish, who is an, uh, who is a publisher. The manuscript had been submitted to him and his incarceration stops at the time that he reads the point where she gets forced off the bridge by Bill Smoke. Okay. So again, cliffhanger. Yeah. And then Timothy Cavendish is talking about his whole like ordeal. It gets made into a movie. And oh my god! It's actually something in the. Can book we just for quickly the Tom Hanks playing the character within the movie within the movie is just it's like so oh over my the top. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's so over the top. I love it. Um, and the music that swells as he swims oh, yeah. out with his chest into out, the you sun know? when he walks out of the door yes, into, the into the sun. <laughs> um, and I do love that they have the kind of callback effect of him narrating the end about. Um, him being in exile like Solzhenitsyn in Vermont and they mm. have the same narration by Timothy Cavendish himself to finish his story um, I think that is so cool for some reason um, yeah so he's reading the thing um, and in the book in the, unlike in the movie 
he actually has a, sh- a a minor stroke while he's in the in the Aurora house. Oh, okay. And so what was happening is Sony four five one was re- watching that movie. Remember, um, and at that time she gets cut off and has to stop watching the movie. She has to pick up sticks and run out. Her story happen- happens over a much longer timeline in the book, mm, and they that's the one that's the most heavily edited and. Uh, we were talking about how this isn't the most faithful to the specifics of the narrative. In that case, and in some of the other cases of the, the editing that they did, um, I found it to be seamlessly improved from the book. Having read and watched, um, the book is really good, um, but it is even darker than the movie. Mm. Um, and at times, um, specifically in the Sony story, it's very confusing to follow what's happening. It's basically the whole thing... It starts off the same way where it's like, right, she was the fabricant that the that Union was trying to get to become a full-blown human to prove that these clones should be treated like real humans, not like property. And it turns out to be a false flag operation in the mm. book where Union was actually a, like started by an agent provocateur by the government itself to attract and lure the dissidents out so that they could all be wiped out in one. Oh, interesting. So it it's actually kind of annoying. Not I, I I'm I'm kind of okay with that. Although I prefer the way the movie did it by making it a more sincere effort. But I would have been kind of okay. But the way that the news is delivered is almost like implied at the end. Mm. So I actually had to go back and read it. Like, wait, what the fuck is going on? And I was right, like, right. again, I'm like, oh, it's all fake. That's annoying. <laughs> and you just go, oh. <laughs> yeah, because like it wasn't like delivered like as clearly as I would have liked if that's the reveal. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so she's reading, she's watching the movie, whatever, it gets cut off there. And then we get to the final piece, the anchor of the whole thing is Zachary, it's Lucia's Crossing and everything after is what the chapter is called in the, the book. And it's the way that the beginning of the movie starts with Zachary starting to tell his tale. Um, old Zachary telling his tale. Mm-hmm. And then it's a flashback to him telling the tale. But that whole story is delivered start to finish. And then it starts unraveling back as... Sonmi has been captured. She's given her whole thing to the archivist. And her final request is to watch the rest of the movie. So she gets to watch the rest of the Ghastly Ordeal of Timothy Cavendish. Which then rolls back into that sequence, which rolls back into the previous. So, yeah, so when he he escapes and he finally gets free and clear, he finishes reading the Louisa Ray novel, publishes (laughs) it. As along with him writing his movie, the script for his movie about himself. Right. And then we, so him finishing reading the manuscript is us reading, is us f- seeing the rest of the story about Louisa Ray. And at the end of it, um, I don't know if you remember the end, um, Rufus Sixsmith's niece gives her the last few letters that she yeah. didn't have. So she gets to read the rest of the letters, which dictates how Frobisher had escaped, finished writing the Cloud Atlas sextet, and then kills himself and leaves the last letter for. Sixsmith, um, and he talks about the ending of having read the Pacific Journal, so it ends with the ending of the Pacific Journal. That's that's pretty cool. I it, it makes me want to read it just to 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 experience the story in that sequence because I feel like it'd be kind of interesting. It is. It, uh, it, it, it was really cool in book form. It would not have worked in this movie. Oh yeah, I don't I don't think so. But that so you touched on a lot of things because you basically went through the whole movie there. Uh, that's why I said let's hold off on that because now yeah. we can kind of pick and choose where we want to go. So let's let's do. Let me know how you feel about this. Let's just focus on let's let's, let's out of on. out of a hat pick out some like insanely powerful moments and we can like we can work off of that uh, because. In my mind, so when Robert kills himself, 
Mm-hmm. The there's something I don't know how this works in the book, but there's something incredible about the way that they shoot that and how uh, 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 his lover's seconds. I can't think of his. I lost his name. Uh, Sixsmith. Sixsmith is like seconds away from being there before he does it, and just the timing of everything and the sound. While not, it's not crazy sound design. Like it's not super loud or anything, but it is. It's so deafening. Yeah. In that how in like what like what it represents. And it's and, also at this point we've seen some good and bad for all of our characters, but we're not quite to the end. Yeah. So you're rooting for Sixsmith to make it and for him to convince him otherwise. Mm-hmm. But you but know you should you should know he's not going to succeed. Right. And um, that led and I, to... I think the first time I watched it, I, I didn't know. I was still hoping that he was going to make it. Well, I, yeah, I you I just, just naturally believe... hope for a good thing. <laughs> I didn't believe that that was going to be the way it went. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, and it's it's so heartbreaking. Yes. When he because he, he doesn't know because he hasn't read, read he hasn't read the last letter yet. He doesn't know. He knows something is bad. He knows something wrong. He knows he's on the run, wanted for murder, but he doesn't know how like far he's going to go. Right. That he he would consider killing himself, um, so in that moment where it ha- he knows something is bad and the worst possible thing happens and he runs upstairs to try and hope that he could possibly be wrong and then to see it and it's bad enough for us knowing that he's moments away from having succeeded in stopping him, but then for him to realize how close he was and not yep. have understood like had a, if I could have just been this much faster, him. It's, that sequence, though, is like if you want to even dissect any of the performances, that embrace is one of the most intense, if not the most intense scene in the movie. Yeah. Because it's so real. It feels like he is holding the limp dead body of the person that he loves most in this world. Like, it's it, that is. And it's, it starts with Domino's, too, because while that's going on, is also interspersed with the narration of Sonmi when she's giving her final revelations. Mm. She's broadcasting it out to the entirety of what's left of humanity at that time. And at the same time that that's going on, she's watching Heiju mount his final defense to give right. her the time she needs to deliver her. And she has to finish her broadcast while watching him die. Yep. Um, every bit is heartbreaking, though the physical distance in this case providing some bit of a buffer to the pain, not being able to reach out and touch him, though she wants to, but knowing that it's more important that he's dying for her, knowing that he, he probably knew all along that he was going to die that day. Mm-hmm. Um, and that she needs to finish what she started. Um, whereas, in the, from the opposite perspective, Frobisher had finished what he started and there was nothing more for him to do. Uh, Sig Smith, which characters carry through timelines other than him? Um, I think he's the only one, unless you want to consider watching the videos of Cavendish or Sanmi. Okay. Um, there, because he's the only one that has a tight enough loop. Um, I mean, I guess technically Louisa Ray could have been alive or whatever, or like Javier or someone like that could have been alive when, when Cavendish is reading those things, but none of them actually physically shows up. Right, well, Louisa Ray has a, has a character in the, in the Cavendish timeline. Oh, well, the, that, Sorry, Holly Berry has a character in that timeline. Yes, that's so, true. Which so she's the girl that so at the party. Not, yeah, well, I love that too. Like because it means nothing early on in the movie when uh, her and Tom Hanks lock eyes. Mm-hmm. It means nothing at that point uh, until you think back on it after the movie's over. Of like, 
recognizing souls through <laughs> like it's it's really cool <laughs> and so and so well like elucidated in what when frobisher is describing to vivian airs the premise behind the cloud atlas sextet right yeah I, I visioned souls meeting each other again and again and again across different lifetimes and they continue to come back together and then separate and come back together as it all goes along and mm-hmm. those two characters never see each other again in the Cavendish timeline that doesn't really matter. But when we consider how important the two of them will be, um, as Zachary and Merinim, um, in, you know, hundreds of years from now, um, how important it is. And I think it's important that Sixsmith be the one to physically carry it from the Frobisher timeline to the Louisa Ray timeline. Um, I think it is, even though it's the unique, um, bit of it that carried it through, um, the only time that, that someone physically carried it through, I kind of like it. I kind of like that it has that exclusivity. I wouldn't have liked if every one of them had it, I think. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it, what it does, it, it adds a little something of like, uh, all the other ones are kind of just like, there's there's like a loose connection, but let, let's use this one physical one to show you how strong the bonds are. Yeah. And I think like, because it's just supposed to represent that as like throughout the other characters over the courses of those stories. And it's just... I, I do I love that uh I love the characters connecting for a second across across the timeline. Like when they are in the um, uh when Louisa Ray goes and gets the the album mm-hmm. and it's Frobisher and yeah, like, it's, it, he it's, hears it's, it's been, it's, it's ben <laughs> Weeshaw is playing the hippie who's selling yeah. her the <laughs> even though it's his character is Robert Frobisher who wrote the thing itself. Yeah, it, that's right. one of the cooler connection points as well. You're right. And she's like, I know this song, and it's because her narr- like, because she tech she wrote it in a different life. It's I don't know. It's really interesting. It's yeah. It's, it's very fun to watch it unfold, and like, it's also it's it's fun to kind of just get lost in it because like you don't have to, you don't have to have every question answered. It's just like this really cool like fluid thing. I going back to it, you're gonna get more out of it each time. It feels like. Yes, um, there is something a, even now. I've seen the movie probably. 10 times and there's still little things that I pick up on now that I haven't seen in any of the other times. Um, yeah, I, I think those sorts of little details um, or even like, like I find it a fun game still now. Occasionally I, I, well, I guess I've, I've picked them all up by now, but it took me several times watching the movie to pick out every single actor in every story because all of the main cast is in every single one of yeah. them even if it's only for a second. And most of the secondary cast is as well, although some yep. of them are only maybe three or four of them. But like, it, like the way it does it, it's not even like, like you said, Halle Berry's just at a party for yeah. one second. Um, but in like some of them, like Duna Bay is in a picture in one of them. She's Rufus Sixsmith's sister-in-law because his niece is, you know, is, is half Asian, like half white. She delivers the, the one to... That she delivers the letters uh, and the last copy of the report to Louisa Ray. Mm-hmm. And she shows her a picture of her parents and, you know, what her her mother yep. is doing a bay who, you know, ends up being Sony. You know what I mean? I also, I also the letting characters play different sexes and different races, I think was really cool too. Like, like because just because the, the, how you're carrying that character along and like making that. Well, it made sense for a lot of reasons piece. to, you know, when you think about the thesis of what, a lot of what the Wachowskis are about, about like uh, transcendence is a big part of a lot of their yeah. stuff. Even going back to what we talked about last week with Neo transcending the matrix, right? 
Um, but in a lot of other ways, all these other movies have, and shows have been the case where, like, we have so many issues with, you know, whether it be, like, your sexuality or your gender or your race or whatever. Like, it doesn't matter. And rather than have all those situations where, like, a white actor was cast to play someone of a different race, they cast all these different people of different races and had them play all different races right. and sexes. Halle, Plary, Halle Berry plays an Asian guy. Yeah. Um, Hugo Weaving plays a white woman. Like, uh, you know, Duna Bay plays a Mexican lady. Like, uh, you know, yeah. I mean, like, like all these different people played all these different things. Um, I, I think it's an incredible way to do that sort of thing. Like, just have everyone do everything. Like, to just kind of further show the point of, like, this, these are the, the surface things that don't matter. All of the things that go on beneath it, it you know, for the whole thing from womb to tomb by every crime and every um, kindness that we do, we birth our future, right? The, mm-hmm. the line from Sonmi's revelation um, that gets to the crux of the matter of this whole movie. Yeah. So uh, there's something I have written down here that I'm curious what your take is on it. So like we, uh, it's funny that you actually brought that line up because it's perfect for what we're, what I'm about to discuss with you. So Hugo weaving, he still criminally underrated. Oh my god, it's incredible. Well, under but, underutilized, at least I'll say in this role is rather what I was going. He for. is always playing the evil force, and yeah, basically <laughs> he gets he gets seemingly worse and worse as the timelines go on. As if well, he literally plays the devil. So <laughs> well, and that's that's what I want to get at. So like uh, over time, like he's darker and darker and and more and more horrible as time goes on. Until uh, at the te- end, te- technically, he wasn't overtly evil in Cavendish's timeline. Oh, uh, that's that's true, I guess. But even I mean, Cavendish, he, is, like, he, he, he is a Nazi, but like not like actually part of the Nazi like infrastructure. Like he's just yet a German who's part of the party. You know what I mean? Like he's, right. but, he's not but, like regardless. the minister of whatever. Like he's just like a guy who is like a composer who lives in Nazi Germany. Yeah. Regardless, though, like I feel like what the what's coming across with that character though is like. You know, your every evil and what was it? Every kindness. Yeah, for every crime and every kindness. And his build and build and build and until he becomes basically just a force of evil. He just becomes a construct in Zachary's like, he's he's the devil on his shoulder. Like literally in some scenes, the devil on his shoulder. And yes. like, he's, he's kind of devolved into like a this super evil presence. And... It, I wonder, like, if there's a, a hint in there that you can go so far that you can't come back. I guess it's possible, although the one thing that kind of tweaks at that is, like I said, uh, him playing um, Taddeus Kesselring. I always remember that because he's got a, such a ridiculous name. Uh, <laughs> the, the German composer. Or even when he plays the archivist in the Sony yep. storyline. He is an agent of an evil organization, but you can sense even in his very, he got two whole scenes on the whole sequence. Um, he realizes already that he may be on the wrong side of history. Yeah. Because he comes in and he seems like kind of just like a callous jerk who's here to carry out her execution right and he says you know he kind of basically says 
I'm not so sure that's what it is, but I also know this is my job and I'm going to do it. Because mm-hmm. like he says, you know, the the politicians want to, you know, have you branded, uh, you know, a whatever, you know, you know, the the scientists want to, he says, uh, <laughs> what did he say? A cerebral vivisection, which for those of you who aren't doctors, uh, not that I am one, is literally brain surgery on you while you're alive and undrugged up. Yeah. Um, just to see how your brain works, um, which is something that, to my knowledge, um, reputable doctors haven't done in well over a hundred years. Um, uh, you know, who are this and he goes for, but for me, you're, uh, says for me, you're a, a political problem or whatever. Listen, then he goes, um, and it's come to me to execute you. And he doesn't say it like he, like he said, all these people hate you or fear you. He goes, he goes, and he says, I find it funny that all these people are so afraid of what's going on in there. And where basically for him, he said, I'm not afraid of you. I really couldn't care one way or the other. It's just, there's an, he's basically a punchless pilot. Like huh. they're all calling you for me to kill you. And I like, I'm, I'm not going to go out of my way to not kill you. So right. sorry, but that's, what's going to happen. You know what I mean? And then at mm-hmm. the end, when she's given her revelation, he's allowed her to meet with the archivist and give a more full accounting of everything that's gone on. And I actually always read that as a kind of a dual or even maybe a triple layered thing. When at the end of it, she's uh, the archivist um, played by James Darcy says to her, you had to know that your whole scheme wasn't going to work out. Why do it? And he, she says, you know, I, to make sure the truth got out there. And he goes, well, what if no one ever believes it? And he, she goes, somebody already does. And that's I like that line. a layered line because one, she already knows that the archivist himself does. Right. He knows that this is the truth because how could anyone, let alone a fabricant who's been awakened in the last like year, possibly have the imagination to come up with that story? Like too much of it rings true for it to right. not be true. Um, where if there there could be an exaggeration of a point here or there, but the uh, the the premise has to be true. And I think when you see like the Hugo Weaving character smiles as she's being led, and she doesn't fight, and she just walks out and accepts like I've done my part and. My, I lay down my guns. My war is over. I have nothing left to live for. My, mm-hmm. my one true love is dead, and my one true great work in this life has been done. And I know that things will be better tomorrow than they are today, not for me, but for everyone else. And he smiles while she's being led to her execution. And it's not bloodlust; it's respect. Mm-hmm. And it's man, I, I underestimated you. I understand now why everyone was afraid of you, and they should be. And we should be afraid. And when you consider that everything that happens after that is an uprising revolution and the end of all civilizations we know it, you understand the gravity of what she was a part of. Yeah. And he understands it in that moment that things are about to change. You know, it's funny. I, I've been thinking a little bit about you were talking about the book and how um, the rebellion is kind of like a farce. Uh, right? Like it's... Yeah. Uh, which is which sucks to me because in the I I like the the rebellion being a representation of a multitude of drops. <laughs> like, yes. You know, like and so like taking that I feel like the book would have taken that away from from that. Maybe, but well, the thing is, in the end, she accepts that that's the case, but she basically says, "I don't think it matters. I think that they let me go too far." Mm. Like she thinks, I think she realizes that. Listen, yeah, there were some people who had some problems. But the truth is out there now. You guys mis, you guys misjudged where this was all going. Right. And I'm gonna die, and I feel betrayed in all of that because in that case, Heiju is directly the one who's betraying her. Mm. Um, 
which is one of the reasons I don't like it. Yeah. Um, but she realizes that what she set in motion, it probably wouldn't have happened as quickly as it did in the movie version of it, but things are going to change. And in the end, she got to live a life of a more full life for a couple of years. They actually go more into detail. Um, the whole thing with the soap and feeding the fabricants is actually, it, it was doping them so that they weren't smart enough to realize they were actually creating fully viable clones that would have self-actualized like right. humans. And the only way to keep them down was to dope them up. It's more overt in the book that from that perspective, that actually probably makes yeah. more sense. But that's, that's cool. Oh man. That's so crazy. It's so crazy. But anyway, so like I was, I was thinking about like uh, Hugo Weaving's character. I thought about him as like, there were two things about it, either like him becoming so evil that it just like, he turns into a force of evil. That's one. Yeah. That's one concept. The other is that the the movie thus far, the story thus far, is showing you people and soul like moving through time and space from person to person, from body to body. But I think it was also showing in that particular character. I feel like it shows you it could also be more of a force than an actual being. Yeah, and which I, I actually think interesting as well. I actually think they maybe even though he's so good at playing villains, which is why he's played them so often. I think it's what he finds most interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I think fun. He said he said that too. Um, but I think they may have even done him a slight disservice in this movie. And I understand he's not quote unquote actually one of the leads because he doesn't get to be the lead of any of the stories. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you notice, everyone else gets a turn as the villain or the protagonist, basically. Um, or I'll say someone who's slightly on the more villainous side or on the more, you know, good side. Like Tom Hanks plays Zachary, who is the protagonist of his story. And then he plays Dr. Henry Goose, who is unquestionably the villain of that story. Mm-hmm. Um, that I think that they did a disservice by not allowing him to play something that's better even than neutral, right? Like his best version was a neutral, relatively neutral character in service of evil. Whether, sure. or, not he was, whether or not he was actually advancing the evil of that plot um i do wonder if it's more for like your bearings like they they had a character that that portrayed mostly evil throughout and then tom hanks character goes up and down he's he's constantly riding this roller coaster back and forth um and in his final storyline he's riding it back and forth through cowardice like throughout that one storyline which was interesting uh and then but then you also have like uh hugh grant's character is pretty much he's pretty much bad yeah, but again, he's also, he's also um, like a very secondary, even tertiary character. You but know what I mean? then you have Jim Sturgis, who is always good, right? Um, yeah, actually, I guess so. And then, especially in the farce storyline, where he's the, the hooligan that crushes Hugo Weaving's oh, character God. with the with, with a keg, which is fantastic. And then well, you have, I'll let you down. <laughs> it's it's so good. Uh, I don't know. It's it's. It's, I feel like there are certain characters like that that maintained. Um, yeah, I guess that's true. Some of them ended up more good than other. Some of them, they they're in their other turns, they were just kind of more inconsequential. But like, I even thought like Halle Berry got to be Louisa, and then she got to be joined up with the Zachary story on the side of good. And then I guess she wasn't bad, but she was certainly morally questionable in the 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 Neo Soul storyline. Though you could very easily have missed her she's the creepy doctor who cuts the thing off of her neck yep um although technically as jocasta she's not exactly the best person um uh which not which one is that? not uh vivian Ayers' wife oh yeah 
yeah uh, it's it's so cool <laughs> I, I just i want to re- i just want to keep watching it yeah um i i do find some interest in getting into some of the performances mm-hmm. uh, i think it's incredible that if you would just listed everyone oh these are all the people like a lot of people were like oh tom hanks was completely crushed in this movie like he's such a great actor and he is a great actor i love tom hanks mm-hmm. but as far as rating the performances of everyone probably like the fifth best actor in this movie mm. um because um, I thought Jim Broadbent crushed it. Every, I mean, considering how great he is as kind of like in this whimsical Timothy Cavendish thing and how terribly evil he is as Vivian Ayres. Oh, he um, is so... He's monstrous. That laugh... That yeah, la- that evil oh, laugh that he does but right before he shoots him, right? Like No, no, not even that. When, uh, when um, Frobisher goes to touch his cheek... Well, sorry, I mean, it's the scene before oh, gotcha. he ends up shooting. I know it's not the exact yeah. same scene, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, he starts... Yeah. It's, <laughs> well, it's, it's, not, it's not the laugh when he goes to touch his cheek. It's the what the way he delivers it with such malicious glee. At the yeah, end. Goes, and the follow-up you, quote. You won't go anywhere because no one will ever hear your music. You know, right. <laughs> the way he delivers those like lines so ha- He's like great. happy about it. It's, yeah. It's dark. And he has some of the best line delivery in the movie, whether it be as Ayers or as, uh, as Cavendish. You know, he's... You know, I said I had a melody, not a malady. <laughs> that was great. We can get rid of the boy. He's about as useful as the clap. Thankfully, he'll be easier to get get rid of. <laughs> oh man. Um, and I and I thought like this helped put this movie helped put Ben Weisha on the map because mm. um, this movie came out at the same year. I don't know which one came first, but he he came out. This came out the same year as uh, Skyfall, where he was cast as Q. Um, I had never heard of him before either of these movies came out. I guess I had, had I seen this before I had already seen Skyfall because I remember like making the association. I was like, oh, that's what's his name from Cloud Atlas. Um, and I like both those movies come out at the same time, sent off. I mean, he's, he's voices Paddington in those movies and those movies like beloved. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, he's had a recurring role as Q in James Bond, which is like one of the biggest movie things that ever. I watched some show. Actually, it's funny because they kind of re, re, Recur- reoccurred in the whole thing. Um, this show, London Spy, was like a mini-series. Um, him and Jim Broadbent are in it, and they again kind of end up involved a little together, um, which is interesting. <laughs> um, that that should be like a recurring thing. Yeah. Um, but I thought he was great. I thought Jim Sturgis as both Adam Ewing and as Heiju Chang was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Adam Ewing character is is awesome. And this, this yeah, he is. Um, or at least very interesting. Um, watching he's the one who gets probably the best journey right where he's kind of just thinks he can be above the fray and by the end of it he's like no no if someone like me who has the opportunity to fix something doesn't do it then no one will yeah Um, and I'm tired of watching all this bullshit go on around me well I like uh, what I love about that uh, uh, that storyline the the 1850s one one of the lines uh, when Otua is telling him that by not doing anything he's doing something like just that yeah and, that exactly and, speaks to what i was talking and, about like it, with the knife up to his throat like just just cut my throat because that's literally what you're like <laughs> yeah I, like i'd rather die now in the next 90 seconds than have to drown or get eaten by a shark like oh man and if you don't help me now that will be my fate unquestionably is um, him running across that sail diving off of it and dropping it the coolest scene in the movie like what it's, it's pretty incredible <laughs> 
But oh, you're man. right. Like that that whole line, you know, if you uh, if you don't help me, you kill I just the same. You yeah, know? yeah. It's 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 like the whole the the line from that Rush song, right? You know, if you choose not to decide, you've still made a choice, mm. and that's what Adam Ewing has to grapple with, which is a really interesting bit of character development. Um, and I also uh, like thinking about this movie. This movie brought uh, Duna Bay to American audiences. She was exclusively a Korean actress. She was in was it the host that. Um, Bong Joon-ho movie. Um, he's like a famous South Korean director. He did okay. Snowpiercer. I don't know if you saw that movie. No, that's on my list though. Have you seen that's, that? I, no, Dominic saw it. I watched a very little bit of it when he was watching it. Mm. Um, and I know now they're making like a show based on it too. But like that's the, probably the most famous movie that he made um, amongst American audiences. I know he did Okja, which is a like a famous movie. The Host is a really famous movie. I guess that's what put him on the map. Um, but he's like one of like the two or three really, really famous like South Korean directors. And, like, she was in a bunch of, like, South Korean movies. She was one of the leads in that movie, I think. Um, and now she just, she does Wachowski stuff. She was, she had a bit part in Jupiter Ascending. Mm. Um, she was one of the leads in Sense8. She was really good in that as well. Um, playing a very different character. But um, she she's a good actress. Nice. I'm, I mean, when you watch her, I, I guess she, along with Adam Ewing, has two of the best actual, like, character arcs, right? Where she starts off as a meek slave, essentially, and becomes confident revolutionary yeah and she plays all of the points in between that the fear the strength all of it you know what i mean someone learning how to be a human and then watch that humanity ultimately stolen from her when she's finally fully self-actualized is mm-hmm. is a lot to, to take in oh man so this movie has some incredible quotes i know you wanted to get through some of them oh yeah are there any in particular that you wanted to jump into? Oh, I have a bunch. So why don't you give me one of yours? Uh, the, I mean, we've said it already a couple of times, but what is an ocean but a multitude of drops? I would get that tattooed on me. <laughs> it's, it's great. And, and really, and that's one of those ones where it's like, that's such a great line on its own. But the lines that come before it is what, what I was alluding the to earlier about how, how some of the dialogue is so incredible. And those are, oh, those are all really attributable to David Mitchell. Most of the best lines were pulled from the page. Um, and it's the whole thing that, that Ewing's father-in-law, Haskell Moore, who someone we hear about from the very beginning of his storyline, and we finally see him at the end again, of course, played by Hugo Weaving, um, and very well in his one whole scene in the movie. Yeah, there's a natural order to this world, yep. and those who try to upend it do not fare well. This movement will never survive. If you join them, you and your entire family will be shunned. At best, you'll exist as pariah to be spat at and beaten at. At worst, to be lynched or crucified. And for what? For what? No matter what you do, we'll never amount to anything more than a single drop in a limitless ocean. And then for barely a pause for Adam Ewing to come right back with that fucking, Ugh. right, what is an ocean but a multitude of drops? I mean, that call and response, it, it looks like he was physically punched. Yeah, it was the KO. He, it just... <laughs> it's, it's incredible. Um, and just Hugo Weaving's delivery of that whole little soliloquy yeah. Is a master class. He's, I mean, he own. is the soliloquy master. But uh, there's another there's another line that when I listened to it last, uh, the other night when I was watching, I was just like, <laughs> it's so good. Is <laughs> truth is singular, its versions are mistruths. And I was just it's, like, it is a great ah. line. <laughs> Not necessarily a quotable line in the sense that it doesn't have a lot of application per se in your everyday life, but a hell of a line. Yeah. Um, and like I, you know, there's a bunch of those sorts of like you know like the whole soil and green is made of people you know reference to obviously a fam- famous movie, 
just the way that he does it. Soylent Green is made of people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I uh, will say one that me and Dominic do use all the time is how's that for an ending that's flattening beyond belief? Uh, and delivered by one of the most ridiculously comical scenes in the movie. Yes. Again, pitch black comedy because it was delivered to a man who was just thrown off a balcony and splattered. A couple of fingers. <laughs> uh, which I'll I will be doing from now on when I order a drink. <laughs> the, the, the finger couple thing? of fingers. <laughs> um, one of the ones that's recurring through the movie in a couple of different storylines is the weaker meat that the yep. strong do eat. Yep. Um, and it's always delivered in such a creepy way. Yes. Um, in one case, literally by a cannibal about to eat someone. Yep. Yep. yep, yep. Um, all boundaries know, are conventions waiting to be transcended. That was that I mean, was that was part of the sequence that I was alluding to. My favorite one of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Mr. Meeks. His whole I know, thing. I know. Well, there's that. Get I love his whole. Little thing. <laughs> <laughs> the the look on Jim Robin's face when he when he double takes and realizes, yes. oh my god. Um, but his whole little <laughs> thing that he says split up across two scenes in the, the bar is great. But I just love, because again, this is one that we use in real life and you can use. We're in need of a wee bit of assistance. <laughs> um, the true true. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned I it before, was, but what if nobody believes your story? Somebody already does. Is... I know, it's great. Um, I love the... The, this is a violation of the ruddy anti-incarceration act, and I will not be subjected to <laughs> criminal abuse. <laughs> oh, man. You're the genius. You're the ruddy bloody genius. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that uh, when Cavan... Uh, um, not Cavendish. Vivian. Yeah. And he says, that's the music from my dream. And I'm like... I was like, it, I for, I had forgotten about watching this movie already, so I forgot where that goes. And I was like, oh, great. Now he gets to become, like, explain to him, like, that he's actually, like, a musical genius. And, and then when it, where it goes, I was just like, oh, screw you, guy. Like, <laughs> you suck. <laughs> well, the great thing about that, too, is in the book, it's a little bit more veiled. He says, uh, I was in a nightmare cafe where everyone has the same face. Yeah. And they, ex- they expand upon that a little bit in that scene where he says, you know, there's, you know, the colors and these nightmarish sounds and all the waitresses looked exactly the same. But they, they give it a little bit more. And it's like, because you're watching the movie, I didn't pick up on it as much in the book. Or at least I wouldn't have if I hadn't already seen the movie once. But the fact that he's describing in detail what Papa Songs looks like is that little bit of almost supernaturalness where, like, Things actually bled backwards in time. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Right. There was I, another I line that Cavendish... It. There was another line that Cavendish had, and I can't remember the whole thing word for word, and I forgot I forgot to look it back up before we got started. And he says, um, it's the, the right after Dermot Hoggins throws um, Mr. Finch off... Felix fucking Finch off the, the balcony. And he says, um, I must admit that my first uh, feelings of shock and awe flew much as Finch had and were soon replaced by a silver a nascent sense of a silver lining <laughs> knuckle sandwich sold you know yeah. through the roof yeah, after all that and I, was, I just love the way again it's more delivery it's a combination of delivery and an incredible verbiage right where I yeah. just love the way that, that, that Jim Broadbent reads that line I love when he's smooching all his contacts for money and they just oh, yeah. hang up on him it's, it's your favorite Timothy ravenous <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, your favorite Timothy. When life gives I you have... lemons, you make apple juice. Oh, I. Well, who said that? I didn't Captain that. Molyneux? Is that how you say his name? 
Oh, Captain Mullen. That was again. Yeah, also, Jim Broadbent. I for, I don't remember yeah. him saying that line. <laughs> That's interesting. I, I was thinking of um. I love when when he's again part of the making all those calls. You know, I have the the writing book, uh, the writing desk of uh, was it you say Mark Twain or something? Like oh that? yeah. Or, oh no. <laughs> or Dickens. Dickens. <laughs> Sir Sir Charles Dickens. Uh, we already had that desk accounted for. Uh, then what about the writing desk of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he's such a scam artist. It's fantastic. I know. Oh man, I I I love it. I'm I'm excited to watch it again. What did the law do for Felix fucking Finch? <laughs> that that cackle that they when they were laughing at him when he says the law. Oh yeah. Oh, so gross. He just jams right. the plunger into his face. <laughs> That's a great scene, and him talking through it. Yes, yeah. and also the scene where he goes to to see uh, Ursula. And he, he recounts, you know, the weekend that he spent with her. You know, that whole thing has a great punchline, too. Where, you know, the, he, the, the parents walk in and he grabs the cat. Uh, and it starts mauling yep. him and he falls out the window. You know, you know, Calls of accident ribs. listed on accident report. Pussy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, man. Pussy I love this movie, movie so much. Is there anything else you want to discuss? Not really. Also, nah. unfortunately, I don't have much more time. So. All right. Well, I think it was great. Uh, I'm excited to watch it again. I'm glad we finally got to do it. And that was it. And those, those of you who hate us, we finally talked about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's it for episode 100 of Flix in a Six. We hope you enjoyed it. As always, if you have a movie for us to review or nuggets for us to discuss, you can send those requests to Flix in a Six at SpinTune.com or tweet us at the SpinTune. Tune in next week for movie and beer goodness. Until then, I'm Anthony Costanzo. And I'm Albie Olsi. Thanks for coming out. Soylent Green is people! Soylent Green is made of people!